Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Uh, who's ready for the acapella rendition of uh, Silly Games? You right, we're ready? all going to do that, right? The four of us. <laughs> I get, I'll Especially hit the hot. That... Oh, yeah, <laughs> Bill's going to hit the notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, after I introduce everyone, I would love to know who we think among us would actually be the one to be able to hit the high notes. Mm. Speaking of, Bill Graham is here. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Hello. What up? And with us today to talk about the Small Axe film anthology series from director Steve McQueen, it's Jordan Searles. Hello there. How's it going? Um, I mean, it's fine. I'm wearing like an, an ice, my ice pack hat, you know, and I'm the number one advertiser of the ice pack hat. I can give you the link. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by the Ice Pack Hat. Is that like a migraine thing? Yeah, yeah. I just oh. keep it in the freezer and I take it out and I go everywhere with it. I go to the store with it. I go to bed with it. <laughs> Is this a constant thing or more of like like you're saying the things that you could utilize it for? No, I mean I do. I do wear it during the like I really do. You know, I've been watching a lot of Peacock recently, and I uh, am doing the version that makes you watch commercials. And uh, let me tell you about Mgality. <laughs> what is that? It's like a migraine medicine that I've seen the commercial for like 18 times in the last two days. Uh, yeah, I, I see that shit all the time. Yeah, and I'm just like, they're like, oh, talk to your doctor. And it's like, well, <laughs> already we're done. <laughs> Talk to your doctor about Mgality. My favorite, this is, you know, whatever. I'm just going to say it anyway. My favorite thing that any um, medicine commercial can do is it'll be like Mgality for like, you know, reduce your migraines by blah, blah, blah. Talk to your doctor about Mgality. Do not take if you're allergic to Mgality. Really? Thank you for that. Like, you're not even going to tell me the active ingredient that I might be allergic to. You're just going to say, if you're allergic to this, don't do it. It's so freaking weird. I, it like annoys the shit out of me every time it happens because it sounds like when you're a kid and you ask a question like, what's a mizzen mast? And the person's just like, it's a mizzen mast. And it's like, that's not helpful. You can't define a thing by just saying the <laughs> thing saying again. this thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Jordan, well, would you like to introduce there, there yourself to the, uh, the, the listeners at home? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Jordan Searles. Uh, I, I write about movies. I also write movies. I do comedy. I have a podcast called Bad Romance, where we talk about bad romantic movies and sometimes good ones. Uh, you I don't. What was the, what oh, was the 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 Sir Sharonin one that you were tweeting about? Oh yeah. Um. Well. Uh, um. Kyle Kelgren and I we do. 
um, a side podcast for Patreon only where we talk about young adult films that were made oh, no. like, in the oh, in the boy. wake of Twilight. So basically all of the young adult films that came after so, Twilight so. that were trying to like be- become part of the zeitgeist quite like Twilight did. And, uh, and it's like different things. Like it's like there are sci-fi ones, there are fantasy ones, and some oh, are just what? like... What? better way to uh jump off of that into another stephanie meyer movie right (laughs) oh no it wasn't it wasn't the host it was like she was in love with her cousin oh yeah no there were two we've done two sir sharonin so we did the host which is based on the the, that giant book i own that i own that now (laughs) sadly (laughs) i I want to figure out how i can remove it from my digital library yeah it's (laughs) gigantic it's so long and it's so fucking boring and i did i read like halfway through it when i when it came out and i gave up but no the the saoirse one is the other saoirse one is called how i live now which is about like living through it's like wartime in the uk and there's like there's like all of this like political stuff but the movie isn't about that like the war goes on in the background and the protagonist does not care. She like <laughs> falls in love with her cousin and they, they like make love. Like they, they fuck like you see them. Fuck. Like, it's I like how more- you began with make love and then we're just like, no, nah, they fuck. <laughs> no, it's, it's fuck. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just weird. Cause it's just like, they're like babies and I don't want to watch babies. Fuck. Um, but yeah, they so they fuck and then the war goes out and then they get separated because well first they try to like ignore the war and they start like living in a barn and it's just like this is the existence that I want. Like I'm fucking my cousin and we're living <laughs> in the barn and we're like milking the cows and like it's fine. And then like then they like have to the government like intervenes and then like the women are sent to do this and the men are sent to like fight. And then she gets separated for, from her cousin. And then the whole movie is her trying to get back to her cousin because she wants to fuck him. Like that's the whole thing. <laughs> so I'm so happy. I asked this is about the this. Kid. This is the kid from 1917. Yes. George McKay. Is yep. It looks yes, like it the is, cousin. Yeah. Also the kid- <laughs> Also, the kid from Where Hands Touch, the the when he's like oh, the, the Nazi dude. one. The, yes, <laughs> yeah, the the interracial oh, love story between the black girl and the Hitler youth. Beautiful. Oh man. Well, anyway, so that's just a real a real brief introduction to the type of stuff that Jordan talks about, and you can see why we love having her back on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, as for us, you can follow us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, The Filmstage Show. You can email us, podcastfilmstage.com. And of course, don't neglect to give us a comment or rating. Um, what else? You can go to patreon.com slash the Filmstage Show to give us your money. You become part of our Slack channel where you can talk to us and other Filmstage fans about all kinds of nonsense. And uh, of course, you get first crack at all of our raffles. We are also brought to you by Mubi. Curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day a movie premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of. And there will always be something new to discover. Um, movie also has a library, like a back catalog, and I realized that they have Paranoid Park on there, 
which is so weird because I had just been thinking about that movie like three days ago and then saw it was on movie and I was so excited. Beautiful movie. Oh my God, that movie is gorgeous. I mean, I I don't hear people talk about Paranoid Park a lot. I don't know what that is. It's good. There we go. It's <laughs> proving oh, my point. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Just watch it, Bill. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Whatever the fuck. It's got the girl who plays Mary Lou Who in it. Um, no, so Taylor it's about like some. Excuse me, rock star Taylor Momsen. She's now a rock star. She is now a rock from star from Gossip yes. Girl. She's in Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl. She yes. left Gossip Girl to pursue her music. I love that. Yeah. That's perfect. The Pretty Reckless. That's a, a great name for a, a female-fronted rock band. Um, what was I going to say? So, Paranoid Park is a Gus Van Sant film. And it's mm. about a, uh, a teenage skateboarder who is like racked with guilt over something that he did while, uh, you know, hanging out with some other skateboarders. And it's really good. Wow. And it's really beautiful. And it's um, uh, like just a it's a nice, lyrical, awesome, like look at the uncertainty of adolescence and teenagedom and how, uh, you know, guilt affects people. <clears throat> also in the milieu of Larry Clark, but way less creepy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. So it's funny because I, I think I had heard someone mention Larry Clark and I was like, right, skateboarder movies, you know, kids. And then uh, what, what's up rockers and then Paranoid Park. And I was like, no, Paranoid Park's the one that's made by the person who's not really creepy. <laughs> oh, no, you, you skipped you skipped over Bully. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Are they skateboarders in Bully? No, they're not, unfortunately. There we go. What about Lords of Dogtown and Grind? Oh, Grind. Lords of Dogtown. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a Catherine Hardwick. Yes, is it, it is. really? Oh, my yes, God. Yep. <clears throat> anyway, oh, um, other stuff that's coming to movie. They have a double bill of Jacques Becker, um, who is assistant director to Jean Renoir, but was a comedy director in his own right. And their double bill includes Edward and Caroline and Alibaba. So if you were interested in checking out some uh, forgotten French comedies, do check it out. Um, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that's that. Um, anything? Uh, it's Hey, guys, happy new year. Hey. This yeah. is our first podcast of the new year. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it, there should, it sure is. There should be some form of like psychological excitement that 2020 is over, right? Like misdirected yeah, like and Doom. pointless, but still like good. You know, like we've turned I, a new leaf. Like MF Doom died the the last day of December, and then Bean Dad happened yesterday, and it's just like. And then the I saw a celebrity like arose from the dead, like fucking Lazarus or something today. No, here's the thing, Michael. Like, you say MF Doom died the last day in December. He died October thirty first. October thirty first. Yeah, I, and I respect. I totally respect his family for. I, I'm amazed they actually kept it quiet for that long. To be honest, but uh, I guess he was already reclusive. Um, Unlike some celebrities who yeah. don't die and still have their obituaries published. <laughs> <laughs> Did did anyone get the TLDR on that? Because I'm kind of curious. I have no but, idea. Um, I saw that she. I, I we're talking about Tanya Roberts, right? I we saw, are. Yes. yes. 
Sorry. Yeah, I saw that she is actually alive, but I'm not. I don't know if it's just like a situation where like confirmation just wasn't. I, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. I'm. I was kind of sad to find out about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, sad to find out that she was alive? No, I was sad to find out that like she was having health problems that way where it was just like she's dead. Oh wait, never mind. Like, can we just get it together? <laughs> oh my god. It's the it's the rush to be first, man. It's the uh the desire to to get the get ahead of the news cycle. Oof. It's bullshit. Um, but yes, so happy new year everyone. Uh let's go around the horn and say what our new year's resolutions are. I'm, I'm, glad not that, to I'm glad that no one took the bait of that joke because that would have been super awkward. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Um, anyone have any updates? You know, we usually do our like COVID corner and stuff, but I feel like there's not been a lot of movement on that lately. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I bought we, a rowing machine. To... Are you guys okay? <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like you're usually chattier. I, so so this will lead into this. I bought a rowing machine because in college I was on the crew team. And I was like, I need something that I can do to work out in my house with my child. Blah, blah, blah. So I bought a rowing machine. And I rowed today for the first time in legitimately 10 years. And Which I pulled, one did you get? <clears throat> I got a Concept 2. Yeah, hell yeah. Did you get a PM5? <laughs> Uh, no, I got it off of Craigslist. So I have it's a PM3, but it's a Model D, I think. Oh, is it the tall one? It's not the tall one. So maybe oh, it's okay. Model E. I don't know. Anyway, I, it's one of the newer models, but the PM is the old one. Anyway, so I did that today. I, I hope and one listener knows what the fuck you're talking about. Just, right now. just to, like, so I, I, I have not been the most active person, and I was like, New Year. I've been wanting to buy one of these for a while. You know, I've gotten some money recently. So like, I'm going to invest in my health and my future. Woo. And I rode today and it felt great. And then I stopped rowing and suddenly I was like, Oh no, I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I am a little, if I am a little, a little, uh, what's the word sluggish or woozy during this episode, uh, it is a side effect of me trying to get better care of myself. Hmm. But let's that's talk okay. about. I, I love that for you, trying to take better care of yourself. That's that's lovely. I had a rowing machine and it broke, and I was so heartbroken that I have not bought a new one yet. I will eventually, but rowing, pretty sweet. It's I enjoy great. Rowing. It's it's you know it's it's I don't have to run around the neighborhood. I don't have to, you know, buy a new pair of shoes every two months, and um, it's a full body workout, and uh, it's exhausting. Yeah. What what it's are the good. benefits of a rowing machine? in comparison to like a treadmill. Ooh, treadmills are awful. Treadmills. I mean, like for me, I don't like running the impact, you know, cause I'm on the heavy side. So like my knees and machine splints and stuff. So rowing is, I don't really have to worry about that. Also, like, I don't know if people realize this, but rowing is like your whole goddamn body. It's your legs. It's oh, your core. Yeah. It's your arms. It's a full body workout. Like, you know, that, that area of muscles, like that's just behind the shoulders and runs along your neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that hurts right now because I haven't used that in over a decade for anything that strenuous. <laughs> so I prefer rowing. I, it's and also I used to I be have, on the crew team, so that's yeah. I decided to do that. I, I have the the PM five, so I, I like the rowing machine. Well, yeah. la di da. I've um, I'm gonna I'm gonna what? stick with what I got for a while, but I honestly may retrofit a PM five on. So 
that, that'd be smart. It's, it's got some good games on there. Ooh, Fish games. game. At this, yeah. at this time, I'm just like, I just need to row for half an hour. Like, I tried not to even look at, like, my distance, though I did pull 6K. And um, I tried not to look at my split times or anything. And mm-hmm. I'm thankful that memory has erased what I used to be able to do in college, because I'm sure I would have been ashamed <laughs> of myself. Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's what's going on in my life. Help keep me honest. Uh, tweet at me every now and then. Hey, man, did you row today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the PM5 has has Bluetooth capability, but, uh, you know, the concept to like they have like a a full on active community. So you may want to look into that. I may. I may. But also I will weaponize our listener base. Uh, Shame me into (laughs) making sure that I keep working out. Anyway, uh, that's that. Let's talk about Small Axe, (laughs) the film anthology from uh, director and co-writer Steve McQueen. Uh, This is going to be an interesting episode because Small Axe, as I've said three times now, is an anthology series. Uh, If you look it up, (laughs) if you look it up, it's, it says season one. I don't know if there's ever going to be a season two. Um, There's five films and or episodes, depending on the user interface of whatever you're using to watch it. Um, we have focused in primarily on the first two, uh, which I believe are also the longest and that is mangrove and lovers rock. Uh, but we will be blue is an hour and 20 minutes, I believe. And lovers rock is, I think only like an hour and five or 10 minutes. It's not a huge difference, but yeah. Yes, that is correct. And then the last two, I think are like each an hour ish. Yeah. 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 But anyway, uh, they're all available presently on Amazon Prime Video. And like I said, we'll, we'll primarily be talking about the first two, Mangrove and Lover's Rock. But we may take some time to skip around and talk about the other ones. To that effect, uh, this is a full spoiler episode. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit up front, just in general terms. But you should be aware that at any point, anyone could launch into spoilers if they want. Um, but for people who just want to know our thoughts and whether or not they should watch these films... Let's do that real quick. So, Jordan Searles, do you think that people should uh, make time in their lives to watch uh, all five movies of Small Axe? Yes. I mean, there's one that I think I don't really think that anyone really needs to watch. But uh, you know what? Sure. Yeah. No, all of them. Go for it. All right. Um, Because you have actually seen all of them. We should say. Yes, uh, I've seen all of them and I've written about four of them. Um, Alex Weedle is like the only one that I haven't written about. All right. Michael Snydell, which have you seen? And do you believe that people should uh, make the time to watch these movies? Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen four, uh, like through Alex Weedle. So education is the only one I haven't seen. I went in order. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am going... I, I will say it already seems like my opinions diverge from most people. Uh, but I, I will say, yes, I, I think that you should watch all of them. And I think you should watch them in the order that they are intended because they are very clearly intended in a certain order and build on each other. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like this is a really lame analogy but man, this really reminded me of what each season of The Wire was in the sense of focusing on a, a different institution and, uh, you know, space in in, in each uh, 
episode film, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So yes, I, I recommend them, but um, there's really two that I like more than the other two at this point. All right, Bill Graham. I don't know. Uh, I've well, only seen two. Which, you've seen two. Do you think people should watch those two? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but of the five, I don't know. Um, but uh, I... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think I think Mangrove and uh, Lovers Rock are absolutely fantastic. Um, I have some issues with Mangrove, but for the most part, Lovers Rock is solid. Like, yeah, great, great experience and uh, something people should definitely seek out, especially since, you know, uh, everybody's given Bezos their money by now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely like, you know, cash in on that. You have this even if you don't think you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, at this point. Um, as for me, I have seen three of these films. Uh, I, I'm going in order because I like wasn't sure if... It seems to me that if they're placed in an order, they should be watched in that order. It just makes sense, you know? So I saw Mangrove, Lover's Rock, and Red, White, and Blue. Um, I would probably say that Lover's Rock and Red, White, and Blue are my favorite. Um, we will get into oh. it because we're going to be talking about Mangrove. Hmm. Um, but I am excited to watch the rest of these. Um, I, I really... We've talked before about how much Amazon video kind of sucks about telling mm-hmm. people what's on it and when it's available. <laughs> oh, no. It's terrible. I mean, everything it's, about the uh, interface and, like... Everything about like the organization of Prime Video is fucking irritating. Like there's right. just Im- it's impossible to really like there's there should be an original section that's like organized yes. and it's you so, would think so yeah. I, I don't know what <laughs> there doing. is. Th- there is a original section a carousel, that is- but it's yeah, it's confusing. But it, yeah, it only has like ten items listed, and I was like, uh, <laughs> right. really? Like, and we're just, you're, uh, you're just like at the whim of the algorithm. And like, cause I went on and I was like, this has got to be one of the first things on there. Right. And it was not. No. So like I had not. to go and search for small acts, which is always my least favorite thing. Anytime we do a direct to streaming selection, especially now I give them like a small amount of leeway because clearly this has been out for a while, apparently. Sure. Um, but like well, if it's some of- opening weekend and I go on your site and you don't immediately slap me in the face with the new movie that's out. That's a problem. Um, Mank. I, that was Mank. How was that Mank? <laughs> Mank. That was Velvet Buzzsaw. I remember, like, because I yeah. had to type in the full title before it even offered me that. <laughs> ah, but, 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 you know, too. They, yeah, they you know what they did. That that Cloverfield sequel, though. Oh, man. Oh, they God. had it yeah, all that over was that right up there. Up they front. had it all over. Christ. Um, What was I going to say? Anyway, so like the other problem is that, you know, this has just been a weird year in general for movie releases. And like Lover's Rock opened the New York Film Festival. And then Mangrove played like a week later. And then like Red, White and Blue was at the uh, London Film Festival. I mean, it's like so people have been talking about these movies for months. Sure. And I just didn't know when they were coming out. So like when it came up like, oh, we're going to talk about these movies. I was like, oh, my God, are they out? Like, is it? Happened? 
which is weird because I am probably the biggest Steve McQueen fan on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet I was uh, blindsided by the fact that all of these films were available uh, all at once, but, but they weren't even available at once. They were released like week to week. And I didn't even know that. I think education was the one that only came out with the prime release. Do you happen to know Jordan? Is, is that correct? I mean, I, I mean, I think so. I didn't see education until much later. Like uh, I covered the New York film festival and how it went was like, I got mangrove and lovers rock and red, white, and blue. And then yeah. I got no word on Alex Weedle at all until, <laughs> until they started doing the week to week thing. I did at that point, we didn't even know what, what the other two movies were called. Like we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from then, my understanding, from my understanding, yeah, the the other two or the last two, Alex Weedle and Education, never screened um, anywhere. Right. From my my research shows that they were not festival things. Um, it is just weird though that like in terms of premieres, Lovers Rock opened the New York Film Festival, and then Mangrove was set. So like, why would you do that if they're supposed to be watched in order? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> they're on they're on Amazon. They're in an order there. They auto play through. So, you know, you can you can catch them. So we all appear to be fans of all of these movies. Um, I don't think that's a surprise coming from me because, again, I very much like Steve McQueen, uh, unlike Michael Snydell. It is for me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm not I'm actually not generally a fan of Steve McQueen. I think Small Axe is like the first thing where as a complete project, I love it. Like I I hate shame um, a lot. I think shame is really stupid. Uh, I I haven't watched all of Hunger, but I, I would probably like it just fine. I just haven't watched it. Uh, I do not like 12 Years a Slave at all. I I like Widows, even though I think it's like, I think Widows has a lot of like tonal issues. Mm, uh, yeah. But in terms of small acts, like it was like front to back. I love it. Um, except for Red, White, and Blue, but it's <laughs> Red, White, and Blue at least has a really great central performance. It's just a story that I don't give a shit about. <laughs> I will say that we all know Michael Snydell doesn't like Widows because of its inaccurate portrayal of neighborhood politics in Chicago. And not not enough aldermanic conversation, obviously. <laughs> okay, Have these so, guys so, ever even met an alderman? God, are, are we yes. gonna are we gonna broach the subject? <laughs> we gonna broach the subject of um, Steve McQueen? Apparently, is a fan of Attack the Block. Because I mean, how got, could you not be well, a fan yeah, of Attack the Block? And then he also got uh, the uh, gangster guy from Attack the Block as well. He plays, I think it's in, yeah, it's Alex in uh, Mangrove. Oh. Is that his name? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> so he Wait, another, who, who is the, I, guy, in, who is the guy in Mangrove that is in Attack the Block? I don't remember that. Let me check real quick. <laughs> All right. Well, while Bill does that. <clears throat> Lovely. Um... Yeah, I guess I guess the best way to do this is just like let's talk about Mangrove, let's talk about Lovers Rock. We can we can then uh talk about the small axe in general. Uh for anyone who doesn't know because we've given literally no context beyond what you might already know. Um the the whole small axe concept 
is kind of a, a time capsule of stories regarding uh, West Indian immigrants in uh, Britain in the, like, a 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. Yes. And um, <clears throat> and they're, they're all directed by Steve McQueen, who co-wrote uh, the scripts uh, with a, a number of other writers. Um, actually, two other writers, uh, Alistair Siddons and Cortia Newland. I hope I've said Cortia? those names correctly. Cortia, maybe? Cortia? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's a Caribbean novelist. He's a British Caribbean novelist. <laughs> Are we ready? Yeah, laid on me. Uh, Jumaine Hunter is the actor's name and he plays Godfrey Millet. Um, I think at one point he oh, basically, Millet. uh, like shouts down the judge and basically says that like his, he doesn't go by the name that they're yeah. like accusing him under and <clears throat> blah, 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 blah. So if you, if you recognize that little speech, that's him. Awesome. Oh, that's um, fun. <laughs> it's actually, so just, just the, because we're we're sharing stupid stuff like this, um, not stupid, but just minor key stuff. Apparently, the actual Leroy Logan, his son, auditioned for the role in Attack the Block that John Boyega got. Oh wow! <laughs> weird connection there. Yeah, that is a weird connection. But anyway, let's uh, let's let's dive in. Let's talk about Mangrove first. <laughs> And then uh, we can segue into Lover's Rock whenever we're ready. So, uh, Jordane Searles, uh, thoughts generally on Mangrove? Thoughts on Mangrove? Um, well, i I think it's I think it's really great. Uh, I mean, there's it's a part of history that I don't like. I'm Jamaican American, um, and uh, I mean, so I don't really know much about like UK West Indian history. I do have like a Jamaican family that live there, but like they're like rich and snobby and i don't ever see them uh, <laughs> uh right. so it, it's like something that i i didn't really know about i was really happy like historically to know and uh i, I don't know it's very much like i had a very cultural experience with it i had a very cultural experience with all the films but i think mangrove the most because there's a sense of like west indian community in it that i never experienced and I was feeling very, uh, it was like living vicariously through that, watching it. And the court case is very funny. I mean, everything with the cops is like, it, it's weird because it's like, it's very serious. But also, Mangrove was the thing that made me realize that Steve McQueen has a sense of humor. I did not know <laughs> he did before watching Mangrove. Because sure. the way that the cops act in that movie is so funny. Like, it's accurate, but it's so... They, they're just, like... A lot of it's just... It talks about... It basically depicts, like, how mundane racism is. Because it's just... The cops are just, like, chilling, like, playing cards. And they're just like, okay, well, one of us has to go mess with the black person now. It's just... just <laughs> It's just, it's so weird to see it laid out that way. And I feel like there's so many, like... They could have, they could have, I feel like he could have gone in a much more like serious direction with how he depicts the cops, but he really just depicts them as like idiots who like hate spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> as they should be. Um, also, uh, Letitia Wright, Letitia Wright is great. Like, I realized that I loved Mangrove. During the scene where she like takes off her shoe and lunges at the lawyer, that's one of the best <laughs> scenes that I have ever seen. 
<laughs> Incredible. Great film. Michael Snydell. Yeah, so I I I like this one. Here's here's what I'd say. I I I think yeah, so the thing I have with uh, Steve McQueen, there's a, there's a few more, a few things. I I don't always like his his uh, his uh, tonal choices. I I don't always love his direction, which sometimes feels uh, incongruently like theatrical or with the actual movie. And I think Mangrove of the four I've seen is is most guilty of that for me. I, I think when it comes to just like the in-between flavor, <laughs> it feels like a little bit too on the nose, I, a flavor here. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the uh, in the restaurant, how people interact at the, uh, you know, a Black Panther meetings, like at the different assemblies, the outside, you know, that wonderful p- parade that they have. <laughs> They're just, uh, you know, jamming to the steel drum. Um, like all of all of that stuff, I think, is is really good, feels really natural. I mean, um, we haven't spoken a lot about the actors yet, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jordan mentioned Letitia Wright, who is, you know, it's, I, I know she's been other, other things, but I certainly clocked her in, in Black Panther. That, that's that's certainly something where I felt like she really stole the scene. In, and, and I was like, oh, who is this person? Put her in more of the movie. Um, but yeah, like I, I know she's a British actress who's been in a lot of things. And, and she just has a, a wonderful um, sense of, you know, like uh, there's a certain like fieriness there, but it's also covering a a vulnerability that i think is is really um convincing i i guess and um i you know as much as we mentioned the cops i really want to mention alex jennings who looks like a goblin and uh is the is the main uh pc who will not uh let uh mangrove uh, no. leave mangrove alone uh, no. and wait no no pulley is sam Spruel. No, who am I thinking? No, I thought I had the right person. Oh, shoot. You're right. Um, sorry. sorry. He still looks like a ghoul. Yeah, I, I'm looking at him and he looks very comparable to the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway, now that I've insulted uh, British listeners. Uh, yeah, so Sam Spool is is uh, really good. And then, um, you know, the central... Um, the central person, uh, Sean Parks, who plays the owner of the restaurant. I think all of those are really good. I, I think the the writing is really natural there. I think just once this turns to procedural for me, it uh, a court procedural, I think that a lot of that main storytelling is just a little more strained than I like. But I will say I love a lot of the choices here. There's a there's a scene that moves a year forward, and they just decide to jump through all of the all of the bullshit <laughs> leading up to the trial. And and I kind of love that choice. And there are a number of other visual things, uh, particularly by the uh, DP who worked on the um, entire series, whose name is uh, Shabir Kirshner and. Uh, their work is just fantastic. Um, it's they are really the star of kind of the whole series for me. So yeah, I, I like Mangrove. I just um, I just don't. 
I don't always love how um, I just don't like the way McQueen's m- movies move <laughs> very much. I, I love all the fringe stuff, the community stuff, but then when it gets into character stuff, I just think it feels uh, melodramatic in a way that doesn't doesn't really work for me that well. So. Yeah, but this is also this first episode is the most I've ever liked a McQueen movie, so it's only up from here. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you wait? So, oh man, now I've just got to be like, did you like this more than Lovers Rock? No, no, no. Lovers okay. Rock is my uh, favorite of the four I've seen. Good. All right, because I was just about to say if if that's what you were hinting at, I would no, no, no. be furious. I'm with you. saying I like this more than literally. All of the McQueen I've that you seen had seen before. It. Gotcha. The only one I haven't seen is Hunger. I think this is better than everything else I've seen. Interesting. All right. Um, Bill Graham. Yeah. So Mangrove. Uh, I'll I'll be real fucking honest here. Um, I guess I'll try and not sound as ignorant as I probably am going to, but. I just didn't realize how much uh, racism like goes overseas or I guess starts overseas. I don't, I'm not sure how to even term it. Um, I, I guess as an American, I'm very used to the depiction of racism in America. And I just didn't realize like even the Black Panthers was a thing over in the UK. Um, I didn't realize there was a necessity of it. And it, it just it makes me sad in a lot of ways, uh, just simply because like this bullshit isn't just kind of secluded to the U.S. Um, and not that like all racism is is secluded to the U.S., but definitely like I feel like so much of black history month and things of that nature is all about like what happens here in the U S and what goes, what has happened here in the U S. Um, so it's, it's just really sad to me to watch a movie like this, to pick this in a way that feels so familiar yet. So foreign at the same time, um, particularly when you start dealing with these accents and things like that. And you're like, Whoa, okay. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's that's a little bit of my ignorance showing, I guess. But, uh, no, I I have watched uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So, nice little comparison here. Uh, most of those people are white with one uh, Black Panther. Uh, <laughs> this trial ends up being uh, all white or all black people. Um, although, no, not- I'd just like to say I'm sorry. Did, did someone force you to do this? What? Yeah, why did you watch Trial of the Chicago 7? <laughs> uh, oh, I watched that on... Trial of the Chicago 7 is that I have a Trial of the Chicago... So Netflix, like, when they send out stuff, they send out screeners. They also you got the coffee out- table book? Yes, I have. I, and I'm using I sent it. that to a Patreon member. <laughs> and I'm using the coffee table book to put under my computer to make my screen higher. I also have the Midnight Sky coffee table book. They're both stacked up under my computer. <laughs> so, so we I, like I've only been getting screeners for like 3 years now and I am already sick and tired of Netflix. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, they're mm-hmm. just sending me like all these screeners and the coffee table books and they just keep sending 
more coffee table books. Like the first year, I think it was like just Roma. And now it's just like, oh, what? You release a movie and it just automatically has a coffee table book budget. Yeah. Though Midnight Sky is a weird case because I looked at it and I was like, what is this movie that I've <laughs> never heard of? Why is George Clooney starring in this? He this directed is, it. I know. I didn't know that. I was looking and I was like, who extorted George Clooney into being in a movie? And it turns out it was himself. And it's just weird that like, you know, like even Ben Affleck still has like the, oh, is he going to direct another movie? Like, I'd love to see another Affleck movie. And, and like when Denzel Washington made Fences, people were like, oh, Denzel's back in the director's chair. This is great. And George Clooney makes like a weird sci-fi movie that apparently Netflix wants to have awards consideration. And I'm sitting here being like, what is this coffee table bullshit that they just sent me? I, they don't have a coffee table book for anything that makes sense to have a coffee table book for. No. Right. Like Roma <laughs> made sense to me. The Irishman me. was the only one. Well, Roma made sense to me because it's like, oh, it's this beautiful black and white and the blah, blah, blah. And like the production design really is a thing. And, you know, but I don't give a shit about the production design for almost anything else. So, like, why? Why is this happening? I, I, I do really feel like movie studios should give you an opt out option where you can just like unsubscribe from the Netflix like <laughs> bundles because I a I have Netflix so I've already seen your bullshit I'm not going to watch it on a fucking DVD um, and B I definitely don't want a, a fucking co- coffee table book of the trial of the Chicago 7 <laughs> with with half of it is the fucking screenplay which I'm never going to fucking read you I'm don't like, want to read the genius words of Aaron Sorkin, the poet no, warrior of our time. <laughs> not, not for that. Movie. Oh my no. god! I, I also got sent the script for that David Copperfield movie, so I now own that. <laughs> they did the Armando and Gucci one. They didn't send me a drink. They they didn't send me a screener, but they sent me the script. Oh, like, I've, 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 I've done that. Yeah, I've I've had that happen for your consideration. <laughs> That is the, the craziest thing, goddamn thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the, the one thing that I I was a fan of that I actually got, and I never ended up watching the fucking movie all the way through. But uh, the planet, the war for the planet of the apes, the last of the trilogy, the new trilogy, oh they boy. sent like a behind the scenes like booklet of like the making of and blah 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 blah, and it was this big fold out beautiful thing. Um, the trolls, I think, uh, had a really pretty cover and design and stuff like that um yeah and some studios just full-on send uh i got john wick three like last year they sent uh, you a gun just, no 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 no, no. <laughs> they, they send out a fucking dvd of it like i got a fully wrapped like encased still in plastic dvd and i was like okay this is this is next level lazy i guess what <laughs> Good, good riddance. Anyways, Anyways glad we could really get into the inside baseball stuff. Privilege inside oh, and baseball. While, <laughs> while we're still in like doing trivia mode, I wanted to point out that um, uh, <laughs> Mangrove, um, oh, God, shit, I can't even think. Okay, 
Frank Critchlow, who is, you know, like a real person in Mangrove, his daughter, Lenora Critchlow, is an actress, like a like a well-known British actress, and she is the star of the Black Mirror episode White Bear. <laughs> Are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah. She's wow. so that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Yeah, I love that. You know, she's yeah, she's uh, yeah. I was looking because I was looking at Frank Critchlow. I was looking him up, and it was like, oh, his daughter. And like, let's look, and I was like, oh, that's like an actress. I feel like that. Th- it's so weird that like both that you know just between even just between Mangrove and Red, White, and Blue, that like there would be that kind of connection. Cause I don't feel like we're sitting here like, Oh yeah. Rosa Parks, daughter was a star of Charlie's angels. <laughs> well, well, here's, here's the fun thing about this. So I think it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was, but it was definitely an American actor who starred in like a UK, like set film where he had to play a British person. And people were really fucking upset that, they had a a American playing a Brit, and who, who was it? I can't remember. It, it was it was a fairly big name uh, movie and a fairly big name actor, but people were just like, "What the fuck?" Like you couldn't cast a black uh, UK actor, and I was just like, Wait, was "Wow, this Nina." I don't. No, I don't know. Uh, not no. Nina. Never mind. It, it was definitely a male. Um, oh yeah, it was I a male. Mean- yeah, it's so weird, though, because, like, th- from what I understand, the opportunities for Black British actors are, like, very, very minuscule, which is why a lot of them come over here to try to get roles. I so mean, it makes so, sense, yeah. Like, so I would be pretty pissed off, too, if some, like, fucking, like, w- it's just like, <laughs> guy, we're still trying to get roles here. What the fuck are you doing here? I'd be well, upset, too. I know that um, with Detroit, people were upset that... um that Boyega Boyega was playing the 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 security guard in that movie. <laughs> the best part of that movie too. <laughs> I mean that movie's a fucking nightmare of just wait. all <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Was that the situation? Was that the whole thing that kicked off the whole like black Brits versus African Americans debate because like Yeah, I, I believe it was. I never oh, figure no. out who started that. It was it um, was like that cuz it was definitely like, you know, we should be able to tell our stories like racism is very different between the two countries type of thing. Yeah, it's just, oh, that was, that whole thing was very, very stupid. Um. <laughs> I won't deny that. I mean, there were a lot of poor decisions in Detroit. Um, Mainly you know. the fact that it exists. I was about to say <laughs> the fact that if you were to watch that movie and describe it to someone, it would sound like the police were the main characters. No, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I don't. I could. We could do like a whole episode on my annoyance with Catherine Bigelow past 1995, like post <laughs> days. I don't know who that person is, and I don't like her. <laughs> Man, this is a wide ranging conversation that we've stumbled uh, upon. James Cameron would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> He would say that, and then he'd punch a wall. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's, let's move on to my, <laughs> my, my review of uh, Mangrove. Wait, I, wait, since we just mentioned it, I do want to say, like, Sean Parks, looking at his career, 
it he is ridiculously good in this. I he better get something, you know, a plum roll because it looks like the last time he was even a regular on a show was ninety five. From looking at his briefly on his IMDb, like he's just he's playing bit parts all the time and. I'm just saying, if anything was a star-making role for a guy who's been in this business a very long time, I hope it's this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, so yeah, uh, I I just was uh, not expecting kind of uh, to uncover a lot of new history, um, and to me at least and compared to the trial of the Chicago seven, I think this trial is much more interesting, but it's also still shows the pitfalls of like even having a trial section. I think the first half of the film, everything leading up to the trial is oftentimes really magical and something special. And once it gets into the nitty gritty of the the trial itself i think it kind of a lot of its momentum is is kind of left standing and uh yeah i i didn't like the second half as much as i really really enjoyed the first half um but i do feel like this idea that you can be a good person and you can run a good business and you can run and try and be as respectable and upstanding of a citizen as possible. And still you just get run over and run over by your government. Um, and you know, it puts this character, Frank Critchlow in a very tough place. And, uh, we really see kind of the fallout of that. And I thought it was really, really fascinating. Um, I'd love to know more about kind of the mangrove uh, as an institution and uh, you know uh, what happened to it. So there's, well, there's, the, there's the, a lot of history there. I was about to say, there's a the couple movie. of like things that they say at the, or the, like the, the Chirons, like the title yeah, cards at, at the, the end. Ends. But yeah. yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've found <clears throat> in just looking into, cause mangrove and um, red, white, and blue are both based on true stories. And I mean, everything in the movie is like kind of based in, in historical fact, but like, these are like two people who existed. And I found that like, lover's I, rock is inspired by the ants. We, we should say that. Yes. Um, oh, oh, also, um, Alex Weedle is a real person. He's a real person as well. Right. Yeah. So there's Thanks a lot of it. pulling from that. But so for the ones that I saw that I then <laughs> did some research on, I mean, the story of of Critchlow and and Logan like is just it keeps going in ways where it's like if yeah if small acts were to become something where they do another season um mm. i would love it if it would just pick up the same characters and give each of them another another movie again that'd be nice just because what of if, the what, if they, want that? what if they do what if I, they do like a uh, uh a bef- uh, what is it what is it the sunrise oh, before uh, trilogy <laughs> Yeah, like like, they just keep, like okay, ten years later, and now uh, we'll do ten years down the road. <laughs> it's I mean, like if they didn't do that, I'd be perfectly fine with it. I'm not going to be like upset. I'm not going to turn myself into a rabid fan of like. Can you imagine if someone got like Star Wars level angry about the narrative turns of the next small axe anthology? Yes. <laughs> Though I guess if it were to be anyone in this world, it would probably be me who would do that. 
Um, but no, I just, it's, it's such fertile ground. And I think, you know, to piggyback off of what Bill said, it's, it's very easy if you watch American media to believe that America is like the hub and the genesis of all racism in the world. Um, and so it is interesting to see a, a series of films like this that are very candid and, and like focused on in the case of mangrove, like the, the racial, prejudices of like another part of the, the the world um and it's it's one of those things where like as you watch it you suddenly realize like oh right america didn't spring up because like a bunch of nationless people came to the united states and like said hey we're gonna make a place here and we're just gonna come up with all of our own ideas like yeah we were bred of, you know, the British and the Spanish and a healthy, like, helping of the Dutch. You know, like, we are, our shit comes from other places. And so it makes a lot of sense that those places would be struggling with their own stuff. And also, like, uh, colonialism. Oh, uh, yeah. I was getting into that. Also, like, I mean, as a Jamaican, like, one of the first things you learn is that Britain colonized Jamaica in a lot of our culture. <laughs> was kind of like fucked with in that way so our culture is like there's like a lot of like british shit that i kind of wish wasn't part of our culture at all <laughs> but it's whatever one of you my mean, favorite bobsledding <laughs> <laughs> all right now i've got to look up where bobsledding originates from okay <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that got a laugh okay cool oh boy um <laughs> <laughs> it got a guffaw. <laughs> I'll give you a guffaw. So anyway, um, but I, so I, I, um, this was the, of the three that I watched, which is a very small sample size. I will grant you, this was my least favorite. I still really liked it. Um, I, I think that I, I really would have liked it more if maybe it had narrowed its focus even more onto Frank. Um, I, I find his, his, his arc the most compelling. I mean, the, the, the movie is named after his restaurant. He's the guy we meet first. Um, I just, I like the fact that he's just, he keeps saying like, I'm not part of the movement. I'm making yep. a restaurant with spicy food. That's it. That's all yeah, I no want. No more gambling, no more no more drugs, no more prostitution. Like like we're we're going clean and we're doing it right and that's it. Right. And and he and even as he's drawn into this, he's like this is not my fight. I don't give a shit about the Black Panthers. I don't give a shit about your movement. I'm just doing yeah. this and to to see him suddenly grow to realize and I think it's um Darkest Howe at some point says like if if like there is a community, they will create community spaces and the mangrove became one yeah. of those spaces. I mean, like mm -hmm. that's the story that I wanted more of. And I think that, you know, in, in telling this story and honestly, like maybe if this were a more well-known thing here, uh, and I don't know how well-known it is in, in the UK, but like maybe they could have done that a little more, you know, maybe mm -hmm. if there'd been like 10 tellings of this story already, they could have said, like, let's really dig into Frank. Like, we don't have to talk about Althea sure. or anyone else. Well, well, but, I mean, it, just, just to give insight into that, um, you know, Letitia Wright apparently has been outspoken about the fact that, like, she knew very little about the Mangrove Nine mm -hmm. 
before mm-hmm. being even approached for it. And she said basically the stronghold of Black History Month uh, in the UK is American history. <laughs> it's about That's Martin so Luther King and, and Malcolm X. <laughs> yeah. Because like, again, like we're, we're, I mean, you know, culturally we're a very large force in the world for good and for ill. You know, so when you tell me that like our Black History Month focuses primarily on the United States history, it's like, well, that makes sense because all history is United States history in the eyes of the United States. Focuses on that. I would. I think that our Black History like curriculum is one of the worst things ever. Like they don't really teach you shit, and and it and it is exemplified by how people talk about it because it's just. I, I, that's like, I mean, I have a lot of soapboxing stuff about that, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the thing is, is that like, I think American culture largely believes that colonialism is good. So when it's time (laughs) to critique it and kind of talk about the history of it, nobody really wants to. (laughs) Well, because we're, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, we were colonies and now we're the most powerful nation on earth. So how bad could it be? But it's like, okay, but you don't understand that like. We had a lot of stuff going for us in in fighting off the British, like and and basically the fact that we were in a giant resource rich continent allowed us to do that. But most colonialism didn't go the way it went here in America. It went, let's rock into this place, strip mine it, destroy it, and then peace out. So I mean that was it too with Native Americans here. I mean, <laughs> to be fair. True. Let's, let's well, give- yeah, yeah, I was about to say the, the Native Shit. Americans may uh, may have a different view of, of this. But there, of no, but what I'm saying is there's a reason that we even had like a concept of manifest destiny. It's just because it was so large. Like mm-hmm. there's yeah. the, there's like a, a concept in in Britain that like at some point like when they built out the Royal Navy, like there were just no more goddamn trees left. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because they're an island, and so every, they like locusts. They went around the world, being like, "Oh, we don't have this on our island anymore. Let's take that." Whereas yeah. in America, we're always like, "Just go a couple miles that way. There's more of it. Just keep going." Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah, it's you know, it's a it's a dark, ugly thing. But like, yeah, like it it makes sense that for the longest time, like America would be like colonialism is great. It made us. We're awesome. Like, how come all these other people weren't able to make Americas? I think one more thing, too, that has to be mentioned, and Steve McQueen has actually talked quite a bit about this, uh, specifically when he's asked whether this is a film or TV series, hilariously enough. He's like, I, I don't. I don't care. I just wanted this to be on BBC. So, you know, in the UK, so my, so my grandma could watch it. So my aunt could watch it. Like he really did want this to be very accessible, which I think does give more credence to what you're saying here, Brian is like, you know, uh, whether we're talking about people in the UK being familiar with this or people in the U S like this in itself is meant to be, I, I don't mean in a backhanded way, but educational. Like, it's really meant to, you know, ease you into the story and create a larger sense of what the community, create a sense of what those conflicts are. Like, it, it is, I, I, I think it is, like, a totally fair question to ask whether the trial needs to be in here. But even as it is, it's, like, it's really abbreviated. Like, that's something I've been thinking mm-hmm. about a lot like it's it's not only that uh scene i'm talking about where you know right from the riots or not the riot the um it feels totally wrong to call that a riot it was <laughs> a march the, the demonstration yeah yeah i mean not 
Yeah, whatever. I'm not trying to get into coded language there. Um, it's the, just they, yeah, they keep right they they were charged with riot and affray, and the movie has to yes. say that constantly because those are the charges. So it's almost in right. its way an interesting an interesting way of looking at the way that like language like shapes perception of a thing yeah. because like you see what happens there. It doesn't look like a riot. I don't know what affray is to the point where I could call it if I see it. <laughs> But, you know, it looked like a march. It looked like a demonstration. It didn't look that bad. And then the British crown starts screaming, oh, it was riots and a fray. And they were saying they were going to kill us. And they just say it so much <laughs> that you start to think of it as a riot, even though you saw with your own eyes that it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the fascinating thing to me, though. It's like it's not only when it moves forward a year, but like the main trial we're seeing is the it's, I believe it's the third trial. Like a year, a year later, I believe is the third final trial, and they moved it to a uh, a court that's like for terrorism, murder, and you know, like the worst felonies essentially. So, but it, like even when you dig into that, like the things that it chooses to show you about that court case, you know, it's you you get pulley being called out for the slot that they're looking through and that only one person could do so you um you know you get the the many different ways that the crowd and the mangrove nine uh interact with the judge who's in fact alex jennings who i mentioned earlier um <laughs> and you know and then you get the you know, the the other two police being raked over the coals. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that's in a standard procedural that it jumps over. And, you know, at least for me personally, I think it's too much in the middle there. I either want to see less of that or more of that. that is well, that was point. one of my feelings was like, I kind of wish that it had spent almost more time in the trial. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, but there's also a part of me. It's like, well, I was raised on law and order. I love a trial. You know, my cousin Vinny <laughs> style, when uh, Darkest Howe holds up his little cutout of the slot. Yeah. And is then just like, how many people do you think would look through this? Like, was your head here? Was your head here? I was getting like really hardcore my cousin Vinny flashbacks in like the best way <laughs> because I just love... You know, that kind of unorthodox, like showing the lie for the lie that it is type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really it's really interesting, too, because we don't really see Darkus as a playful uh, presence up until then, too. Like he's, you know, he's a wonderfully charismatic barrister, as, as they say. <laughs> but he he has barista? a certain. <laughs> yes. <a barista. laughs> what did he is say? A... Barrister, Bill. Barrister. barrister. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he has a he has a certain tenor and, <laughs> oh, no. for a podcast and a way of a way of presenting some of that stuff that like I, I I do love the way that they just keep expanding these mangrove nine. I mean, maybe we know five of them less than you know maybe the main four, but th this movie really does do a lot to say a lot about that community to then say something larger about each of those individuals as a part of a community. Um, so like, I, again, I, I guess I go back and forth there is whether I want that law and order or whether I want more of them, you know, having a barbecue outside with the community. Cause I, I don't think you get, 
I think you get a great sense of what the mangrove, what mangrove means to the people around it. But I almost wanted to see more of that community. Um, yeah, I wanted extended- to. Spend- oh yeah. Oh, I was going to say. What? Go ahead, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I know. I was just going to say that I agree. I wanted to spend more time in the restaurant. Like, mostly just because, like, I'm from the South, and so we don't have any restaurants like that. Well, in Georgia, at least, I hadn't gone to any. Maybe there is. Um, But, like, th- just the idea of being surrounded by West Indian people and, like, in that experience. Like, it was just beautiful i just wanted i mean lover's rock helps with that where it's like okay we can finally be immersed well, in so, this community so that's so. that's this will kind of help uh, maybe even like push us towards talking about lover's rock since we're talking about both of these i there was a part of me while watching mangrove where i was just like i just don't i don't know how often i can watch movies about black people be it in america or anywhere else in the world being harassed and fighting for their rights like it's it's it is it is obviously a thing that has happened and it's a thing we should be aware of but like given the the broad swath of humanity that we are able to see through movies i i would prefer some more stories where we can just focus on like maybe like joy and like you know like is there ever a good day and I think that like there's a, a podcast I listen to called uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, where at least one of the the hosts on that show kind of has my same outlook. Like why every time I see a movie with a majority, you know, black cast, am I like tense in the shoulders waiting for the point where like someone gets hurt or someone gets abused? Like what what do I have to do to get my like actually deeply felt deeply you know understood movie about like you know the joys and the happiness of a black existence and so like i enjoyed mangrove for you know kind of educating me for the power of a lot of the the performances i especially liked uh jack loudon as the uh the white attorney who's just like absolutely let's just unleash the hell on this place it's gonna be great um, but when, when I started watching lovers rock and it dawned on me that it was basically like one of the nights that we see in everybody wants some, but just stretched out over, you know, like an mm-hmm. hour and 10 minutes or something. I like my, like my heart soared. I was just so freaking happy and like, yeah, there's some bad stuff that happens obviously because that's still part of life, but like the joy in that movie and the way that the camera lingers like lovingly over its characters in a way that like diffuses the tension that you might otherwise feel like, cause for a long time in that movie, I was like, Oh, when are the police going to come and like wreck this place up and beat people? And when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, that this was just like a story of, of youth and like music and love and, and like the possibility of all of those things converging, I was like, oh, shit, I'm so happy to be here right now. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's that's how I felt watching it. And uh, to your point about, you know, constantly like seeing black people in pain on film. I I agree. And I mean, that's kind of why I, I actually wrote something uh, about the 2010s and kind of how like like it was, you know, around the time that all of a sudden 
everybody every like black movies were getting Oscars and I was basically writing about that as I named it like I gave it a very sarcastic name like the 2010s the decade that black film went highbrow and people got very annoyed about the title but the title (laughs) is mostly just about like how the st- like the things that kind of like set up getting into these awards like the help and 12 years a slave which like i mm-hmm. mentioned that i do not like are basically like white people's idea of what like what kind of stories like about black people deserve awards and sure. i think that that's part of the reason why that's a lot of those films now i mean i feel like also there's a lot more of them now like, I feel like after 12 Years of Slave, they were like, wow. Like, after, like, it was just like, this is what we got to do. This is what everybody's doing. And it's very annoying. Um, and I also think that the other part of it is that, like, bl- those are the roles that Black actors, at least Black American actors, want to play all the time. And it's very weird, because actually when you look at a lot of stuff in the UK with, like, Black people in it, which, I mean, there's not, like, a ton, but the stuff that you do see... It's not really about <laughs> the kind of shit that all American black film is about. Uh, there's like a lot more, I think, playing around that we really don't get to see a lot. Well, we see it on television. And so like Lover's Rock is a really interesting thing because it's the kind of movie that I don't think that it occurred to anyone in America to make, at least no one in power like in Hollywood to make like, you know, it's just, it's, it's weird that it doesn't occur to people. And I think that that's why it's the film that really, really sticks out from small acts because it's just fun. And also personally, like that's the music that I grew up with. And so it was amazing to see that music in a movie and seeing people like enjoy that music. And I mean, there's just so much about it. The clothes, Oh my god, the clothes are incredible. Yes. Uh, wait, wait are, are we going on to Lover's Rock? I, I just want to I, I want to make sure. I, we're, it's, there's it's, one we're last like thing a, I want to say. It's a melange of opinions right now. So Okay, yeah, go for it. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm sorry. There's one last thing related to what you said, Jordan, that I do want to say about Steve McQueen and Mangra. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I do want to talk more about Lover's Rock. But the one thing I do want to say is, you know, we already mentioned... 12 Years a Slave, but like uh, Widows and 12 Years a Slave and Shame, I I feel like a word that's often used with it is like this fetishism of violence and this certain sense that you're constantly see bodies in action, bodies being, uh, you know, violence being inflicted on bodies. And, And I think the thing, the one thing that we should mention here, or at least I'd like to mention, is this was an exception for me that this uh, the small act series as a whole and i think a lot of that again is uh is, is kirshner uh or, i'm sorry is, is that is that right i feel like i said their name wrong yes kirshner uh the the cinematographer here because i think that you know in motion you're sometimes seeing you're not sometimes you're seeing cops you know like pat down uh pat down black people you're you're seeing them you know shove them and everything like that but when it comes to violence in this it doesn't feel the need to uh to focus so much on what's happening to the 
bodies in in a way that it usually does for me. You know, I, I think of uh, Red, White, and Blue early on, uh, the inciting incident. Uh, the camera is placed, the setup is underneath the car, and his glasses fall on the ground. And it is completely focused on that. Uh, you have a another sequence, um, I think it's Mangrove, yeah, where a colander falls to the ground. And mm-hmm. you can hear in the background, but you're seeing it just slowly spin. It's like almost something out of like Chantal Ackerman. It's so, <laughs> which I which I kind of love, and I, I do want to say that's one thing that does feel different, and why a lot of this didn't feel quite as oppressive to me, even as the thematic material. You know, th- there are scenes in here that are very much in line with McQueen. I, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just curious if anyone else had that feeling. I mean, especially uh, Brian. I mean, I mean, you're someone who has really loved McQueen's previous films. Did this one feel? I, I or I mean, maybe it didn't feel different to you. No, in to me, it's it's very of a piece with his work. I mean, he has an eye for expressive imagery and compositions that that I, I really, really enjoy. And I, I love his use of um, like long takes and mid range shots for conversations, like everything that I like about his films, I found present here. Um, just mm-hmm. the, the way that he will focus on the part of the action that you are not expecting the camera to focus on, for instance, like in, in mangrove when they are, you know, leaving the courtroom and going to the table and the mm-hmm, camera is yeah. just yep. focused on the, the chair legs and their feet. I, I um, love that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something it's, it's one of those things where like, if I were trying to explain this to, to someone who didn't understand film or something, they'd just be like, why is that a good shot? And I just have to say like, I don't know it. There's something about it that really kind of speaks to, to what it feels like to be in there. Like I, I, I honestly have a hard time putting it into words, but it's just such a perfect image for, for that situation. And, and in, in lover's rock, I think just because the music and the and the sounds and the, the, the color is so wonderful that like all the things like that become almost, almost more dreamlike like there's i mean oh man like lover's rock shot to the top of my of my top 10 list i won't say where but it is definitely in top five and um it is just, for me as well i just like it's there's so many moments in it that are just so i want to say well observed but it's not even that because that kind of makes it sound like it's an anthropological thing or like an insight but just so well captured like when when the the slow song comes on and suddenly you see hands reaching out for elbows and people <laughs> pairing off like it's just ah oh, it's so it's like again like i was just watching it and of course like i'd seen mangrove the day before and i looked up nothing about any of these films before watching them um and it just it, like there were just so many moments like that where i just almost felt like my soul lifted up and well, that is I, the type of stuff that, like, I go to Steve McQueen for. Like, he knows how to capture those images and those moments in ways that I think other people wouldn't. Yeah. So I hope that's an answer. I, no, yeah. it is. I, uh, Jordan, though, I'm sorry. I, I inter- interrupted you a while ago. You, you started kind of speaking about 
the clothes and the sense of uh, the music that you were growing up with. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, the mention, I don't remember who mentioned everybody wants some, but Me. I mean, I was, I was thinking about that. Well, cause like dazed and confused is one of my favorite movies and that's just like, you know, mm-hmm. over like one night in the morning. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, about like the rock music of the time and, you know, how everybody was feeling and where everybody was at, like emotionally, like it's very much a time capsule and they're really, and that's kind of what Lover's Rock is for me. I mean, like, I, you know, I love both movies in a sense, but Lover's Rock, I almost feel like, okay, I could see myself in this setting in a way where it's just like, mm. there wouldn't really be any place for me in Dazed and Confused as much as I love it. Like, they're, they're, like, I wouldn't be at that party. I probably wouldn't be invited to that party. Um, so, like... <laughs> Because it, of the whiteness, or or just in 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 general? Uh, no, because of the whiteness. Like I think there was, I think there's like one black person in Dazed and Confused that like has no lines, way. <laughs> like, and he's like part of the football team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't. Everybody even wants some, huh? I think everybody wants some. Has one or two people of color. Oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah. It? I don't remember that, but it might. Oh yes. Like, it, oh yeah. He he's there. In fact, I think when we talked about that movie on here, we were, I don't want to say skeptical, but we definitely brought up the idea of like, would he be accepted in as many places as they made it seem like he was? Yeah. I mean, that's that's that. Yeah, that's a great question. But yeah, so like, if like if I had walked into a party at Lovers Rock, like even like if I was like a time traveler <laughs> and like. A, <laughs> I would just be able to blend in just fine. Like, I don't feel like I would get any trouble there. <laughs> you sure I, that bouncer wouldn't, wouldn't kick you out? <laughs> He's intimidating. That bouncer looks like one of my cousins. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, so much of it. And I love, I mean, Silly Games is, like, the big thing that everybody's talking about. And that's that's an incredible sequence. And I also love how long that sequence is. It's like, that has no, been, it does go on. It does here. go on. But that's, yeah. okay, so that's one of those things that, like, again, I that's what I come to a Steve McQueen movie for. Because when he finds a moment like that, he mm-hmm. will he will linger in it so much well, longer well, than you'd expect him it, to. He does it twice in that. Really, like, uh, can I, you give uh, me an example of like even widows I, uh, of a moment that really uh, that you wanted to like live in? It's that, not that I want to live in. Problems. It's that he forces you to live in. Sure, sure. Sorry. Uh, that I yes. Like I can you just give me an example from uh, widows? Like I'm just so widows. So I would say I like found that this time. <laughs> I, I, I got I got one, Brian. Okay, if, go if for you it. Me. Uh, I like the sequence when they find the two guys that are kind of beat beatboxing and rapping inside the school, right? Or inside the church, wherever that is. And they, they kind of focus in, you see them kind of rapping inside this little container, right? Then they're kind of brought out of that container. The, uh, bad guy, the gangster guy in that film, uh, Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya. It's it's Kahlua. It's Kahlua at this point. Kahlua. Um, And he like interrogates them. And as he's doing it, he's like, you know, 
all right, I was feeling that beat. Like, go go ahead and run it back. And they start kind of doing this really awkward, and you can feel the tension. And he just lingers on that sequence for a long time before he basically just kills both of them. Right, and uh, then he just know, does what you expect him to do. But he, yeah, it's the same thing. But, but so, he, I mean... He bleeds that out. Right. I mean, that, when he's, when he's attacking the guy at the bowling alley, um, mm. I would say that the part where... Oh, what's her name? Um, uh, from the Fast and Furious movies. Oh yeah, yeah. an Avatar. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck. I can't remember. What? <laughs> I can't remember the name. Michelle, Gina Rodriguez. Oh, Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rod- yeah. When she's, she's in with, that movie, she. Oh, okay. the yeah. fuck, Michael. Yes. <laughs> what? She is. How yeah. do you yeah. not know? In Widows? I remember uh, Viola. I remember Cynthia. I remember Why? Becky. How do you not remember Michelle Rodriguez? She's. <laughs> I love She's Michelle Rodriguez. I don't remember in, in it. I am like I am excited to watch Widows after we're done talking about this movie now. Um, just to spite Michael Snydell. So anyway, Michelle Rodriguez is. She she um she has a scene where she's like trying to secretly get information from a guy and mm-hmm. it turns out that his his wife like recently died and she starts crying and he's crying and then like they make out a little bit and it's again yep. it's just such a weird scene to to spend that much time in like I remember even at the movie theater like when she then just leaves People were like, why did we watch that? Like, what was the point of that? And it's like, well, it was a character moment. And it was sure. interesting. And so Steve McQueen said, fuck it. We're going to give two minutes to this. Um, yeah. Now, here's the thing. In, That's it, interesting to me. But then, I don't know, maybe it's just the stillness. Because I think of that scene that Bill's just talking about in the gymnasium. And I just remember that fucking obnoxious camera movement in a circle. And I'm like, oh, this is trying Better way or too worse hard. than waves. This is a cool <laughs> always works. Always. <laughs> no, no, you, you mean better. Always better. Waves. Always is, better. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> waves will forever be. Jordan, did you see waves? Huh? Did you see waves? <laughs> Jesus, what an answer! <laughs> of course, I did. I hated that shit. Oh, welcome to the club. This is why you come back so often. <laughs> It's no, that movie, that movie is terrible. I feel, I feel bad that I watched it and I feel bad for the people that were in it. I feel bad on a lot of levels. Anyway, I was at the TIFF party for that. It was on accident. Oh boy. (laughs) What were you spinning around? Was everybody spinning around? I, (laughs) I showed up actually. And I was like sweating because I had been like out all night during whatever TIFF activities. So I was wearing like these really thick leggings and I took my dress off. So I was walking around in a bra and leggings at this like black tie party. And then I ran right into (laughs) Sterling. (laughs) I ran right into Sterling. (laughs) And then you stopped and you said, uh, I loved you in Predators. (laughs) We, we, he was very, very sweet and he was like complimentary and happy. To, I don't know if he understood that what I was wearing was not an intentional outfit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, while I was walking out, Shia LaBeouf showed up. So it was, it was quite a night. <laughs> missed it. You missed it. 
your moment. Um, um, okay. Other movies, other other examples, Michael. Uh, let, I'll just plow through some real fast. Sure. I mean, you haven't seen Hunger, but there's a conversation between Sands and a priest that goes on forever and is a single take. Shame has uh, the first date with the girl uh, that he ends up not being able to get it up for, as well as his run to Madison Square Garden. 12 Years a Slave has um, yeah, him. sucks and it's so annoying. So I will never, ever watch Shame again. I might watch Widows again. I'm I... never watching Shame again. <laughs> okay. Um, I, couldn't, I could not imagine wanting to watch Shame again. I have seen Shame they, conservatively they... five to seven times. Oh, my God. Oh, um, my God. Kill me now. 12 Years a Slave has the the hanging scene and the scene where he is singing the spirituals over the uh, the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, a very powerful and moving scene. I mean, it's McQueen just kind of knows when to let a moment linger for maximum impact. And um, I, I mean, it's 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 so obvious in Lovers Rock that it's that the centerpiece yeah. that like the the catharsis is silly games. I I read an interview with him today where he said that he's like, oh my god, we were so happy when we turned the music off and everyone kept singing. because apparently like he wanted that but he didn't want to tell them he wanted that because what was yeah like well it was was improv it was like manipulated improv because he's like we've done this they know the song i'm gonna turn the music down and i want them to to sing and they did and he was like i'm so happy they did that Mm -hmm. um that was on a an interview that he had over at slate uh, well, and th- that's that's another thing where in in our present age of digital filmmaking, that kind of happens a lot where you will end a scene, but a director won't necessarily yell cut because they don't have to be precious about how much film they kind of take over. And so, uh, you know, I... I <laughs> I, I've I've talked with a couple of filmmakers and and talked about how they will have sequence that's that and and oftentimes it's like comedies that these kind of moments are are kind of directed around. But I mean, it it happens a lot in like normal like TV shows. It happens in and not out, outside of the comedy genre. Uh, it definitely happens where filmmakers will basically just like, yeah, I'm just not going to yell cut. You're going to end your lines. Right, your your notable lines or your page or whatever, and then I'm just gonna keep kind of seeing what happens. And if something good happens, then I'm gonna keep that shit in there. Um, and so, yeah, it it, it, it does feel like a, of a piece. Um, you know, it it's 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 improv, but it's it's like one of those things where it's just like, yeah, I, I imagine on set there was quite a mood, quite a feeling going on during that those sequences um, because you feel it as as you're watching it um one thing i wanted to mention about lovers rock specifically about like the cinematography and things like that um is i think this is not going to get the cinematography kind of praise that it deserves because i feel like those sequences those dance sequences are so up close and so in your face and they're so confined like that area clearly is small it's clearly defined in the film and the cinematographer is in there is up close and personal with these people Mm -hmm. and i feel like it is a miraculous 
I don't know how the hell they they did this because clearly there's a little bit of choreography, but for the most part, it looks like someone is filming like a street fight up close and personal. Like that's what I got uh, a sense. It, it was it was giving me flashbacks of of that opening fight in Creed, and Wait, where you're talking about uh, the dance sequences. Oh, the dance. Oh, oh, just the dance sequences. Well, when you said fight, I was thinking about the dance sequence where like uh, there's a part where the dance floor is like there's there's like no women there anymore. Oh, and, and it's the guys just, are like, like and it's just like the men going hard <laughs> and break like, moshing. That, that, yeah, that that scene <laughs> like, is, is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. All of those sequences in that little dance floor area are just so miraculous. But I mean, I'm, I'm talking about some of the slow dances. I'm talking about some of the fast dances. I'm talking about that sequence with uh, Silly Games where it's just up close and personal. And you can tell that there isn't like a safe space necessarily for the cinematographer and the cameraman to be. And yet they're in there. They're mixing it up. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how that was filmed. I don't know if there's a dolly. I don't know if there's some kind of steady cam. I don't know what's going on in that sequence, but I was just mesmerized by by just like the feeling that I was there. And I, I don't think it's going to get the credit it deserves because it's not as flashy as like a fight sequence or something like that. But I think. I think just knowing what it takes to do that kind of sequence, that's that's the movie magic to me, right? Like, like forget all the other bullshit of like special effects and things like that. Like, that's movie magic where you're just like, how the like I know what a camera looks like. I know what the, a red camera looks like. It is not something easy to get into that sequence and like move around with. So. You know, and it, it doesn't look like it's shot with like a GoPro. Like you can definitely tell a difference when a GoPro is like utilized in, in film and stuff like that. So I don't know how it was shot. I don't know what kind of rig they were using, but uh, I just I just wanted to call attention and just just praise that sequence because I absolutely loved all the dance sequences in 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 that movie. I, I think too, it's really interesting you use the word safe space, Bill, because that's that's something I've thought about uh, a lot in terms of this film, and it's interesting because I actually I actually saw this as a standalone, as as the opener at uh, New York Film Festival. I, I did a did a virtual screening, or I, I paid for a virtual screening of this. I, no screener, bullshit, listeners. <laughs> uh, I paid for a virtual screening, and so I saw this, and I loved it. Um, I will. I will say this is. This is. Uh, I, I'm outing myself here, but I uh, did not have subtitles that first time, and I will say this sec- second time I uh, got a lot more of the nuances because it should be said that so much of uh, Lovers Rock, especially, is almost entirely, um, you know, a Jamaican. I don't. It's not slang, but uh, you know, it's it's very specific cadences. It's very specific expressions. Uh, patois. I, I was okay. I was going to say patois, Jordan, but I didn't want to be wrong, so I didn't <laughs> say it. But okay. either either way, um, I I just wanted to say, like, I think what is so brilliant about 
those sequences and especially you know after yeah it's definitely i understand why people love silly games but i like that part that jordan mentioned almost just as much where they just keep saying bring the record back and they keep looping the same <laughs> you know rhythm mercury sounds exactly yeah but like uh, mercury sound exactly but it's like that so... whole it... sorry go ahead Oh, no, it, that scene is so great. And it was yeah. like, and even though like, you know, several like decades later, it that scene reminded me of being in the club when Nuck <laughs> starts playing. <laughs> like, it's when, it when is I, exactly the same thing. <laughs> when up in the club. Nuck if you buck. Nuck if you buck. Yes. Okay. Uh, Bill, if I, you have not heard Knock a Few Buck, go look up Knock a Few Don't Buck. Don't do that, Bill. Um, <laughs> it is an incredible song, and what it yeah, does yeah. to my people is, is incredible. <laughs> like, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, like, this is... Wait, but I, wait, I just want to finish real quick. I, the thing that really puts that second scene over the top to me is it's when Clifton, her, her cousin... Uh, comes in and you know initially he's not let in by the bouncer but then cops come so he he comes in and was told not to cause a problem and he's like getting way too into it he's getting drunk at a certain point and you think everybody's annoyed at him like everybody's kind of giving him looks and you realize they're about to welcome him into this group that he previously felt ostracized by and that just keeps like mounting That's like that's 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 one of the reasons I brought up everybody wants some. Another reason is because it reminds me of my own life. Um in the DIY punk scene in DC and just the way that like weird people would show up and you're like, I don't know if this is your scene, man. And then like if they're just on the right vibe, bit. you're like, Oh hell yeah, <laughs> like welcome to the band. Like, let's do this shit. <laughs> Like, you know, you're, you're, you're the world's most smallest and preppy looking man, but you want to jump into the middle of the pit with the crust punks and throw <laughs> arm. Yeah, it's fine. If you, that's what you're in for. And like, when we, when we reviewed everybody wants some, I said like, you know, that, that sensation of being welcomed because you, you may not look the part, but you get the vibe mm. is, is huge to me. And so that moment in, in lover's rock uh, really, really held that out for me. I mean, and again, like, there's some, there's some dark shit that happens in Lovers Rock. Uh, um, do you want to talk? Do, should we talk about that? I know, um, because Michael had messaged me, and we, and he said that um, the only person, um, Orla, is it? Or- Orla Smith. Yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, a film stage contributor, but this was a seventh row essay. Uh, specifically about lovers rock as a uh about safe space uh, about it as a safe space and about it uh as uh, about the duality of, of that term um so yeah it's it's a really good essay yeah yeah i haven't read it yet but yeah it was interesting well because like when i wrote i had to write about um lovers rock mangrove and red white and blue all in the same piece i think that that's what oh, wow. i mean that, that's how it ended up so i didn't really have any time to linger on that like i don't know if i'm like mentioned it or what but um that scene is so i like i have a lot of personal reasons for really liking that scene but yeah i mean i do think that like it's uh-huh. it's a very it's a very um the, the rage, Phil. Okay. 
I, yeah. It's a very, like, realistic, like, thing about parties. Because the thing about parties is that, like, there's everybody that's having fun in the main room. and But there are, like, always yeah. other rooms. And you don't know what's going on in the other room. You don't know what's going on in the backyard. So it's, like, you kind of... Like it's this beautiful experience, but that but that's also a part of it too. And I also like that um, it wasn't cool because like when the girl when the girl comes in with her friend, and I mean her friend like leaves soon after, but when she comes in, there's a part later on the dance floor where the birthday girl is like, "I don't know that girl. Did you invite her?" <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and so then when when the assault scene happens and this girl who had come into this party for this girl that she doesn't know, she comes in and she and she saves her. It's like this whole thing where it's just like, I don't know this bitch. I didn't invite this bitch, but like, I'm glad that she's here now. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. She doesn't know the birthday girl at all. Does, does no, she? It's her friend. She just wanted she to go to a party. I, I, I had I had forgotten that. I mean, I, I guess I didn't know that the birthday girl was the one throwing the party necessarily. I thought it was just like a, a local block party and she just happened to have a birthday. So I didn't know this was like a private screening situation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's not, it's, but like they were, they were charging to get in. <clears throat> they were making food. Yeah. They were selling their own beer. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, is it was, it, and again, like that's, that's, that's all shit that I did. <laughs> like that's, yeah, that's the life I lived. And I like, I like seeing that reflected. And it's one of those things that like, it's it, it's the I mean this is it's such a specific thing I remember in the same interview I think in Slate McQueen was talking about like you know we weren't allowed into clubs so we were like you know let's make our own like you know we'll we'll mm-hmm. take the furniture out of a room we'll set up a sound mm-hmm. system we'll charge we'll sell stuff and it's it's just interesting to see how like two people of very different backgrounds can have such a similar a similar bond and it actually you know in in red white and blue uh which we're not gonna speak about at length um john boyega says like you know if we, if we get together look each other in the eyes and talk to each other like men i think we'll find that we have a lot more in common than we have different and it's just like yeah like lovers rock and my own life experience like kind of proved that because i would never say like oh i know exactly what that's like i don't but i know to an extent that a lot of other people wouldn't know how that is like that's it's it's there's the specifics that change it but in general it's people who don't see a place for themselves and decide to to make one and it's 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 uh it's rallied around music and wanting to have mm-hmm. a good time and the occasional asshole you who you have to cut well, the other thing that I, I noticed here was I finally understand why plastic wrap on a sofa is the thing. When it goes outside. Plastic wrap on the sofa is a very like black thing. Uh, oh, I thought you I were going to say Italian because because my family in Queens, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I noticed that I was watching the nanny and I noticed that, too. And it's just like, is it a general like like ethnic thing? Because like I (laughs) I thought it was black people. And then I saw it on the nanny and I was like, "Okay, Jewish people, too. And then you just said Italian. It's like, how many of us do this? I think it's it's just 
it's like a, I I don't want to speak out of turn, you know, uh, but I think it's like an immigrant thing, and even you know, for my grandparents, maybe like a immigrants during the depression thing. It's like we've got this couch, we want to protect it. We yeah, gotta put plastic it. on it, like you know, we gotta we gotta wrap it <clears throat> so that we can save it for our children. You know, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing, but it's, it is a thing. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, con- and you know, meanwhile, I've got a couch that I got from a friend and it's just a battleground for like a cat and a four-year-old and a dog and me. <laughs> so <laughs> clearly that oh, didn't transfer. A little four-year-old? Oh. oh my God. Yeah. You got to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I love the babies. Love looking at babies. Uh, at brian j rowan on instagram if you're interested in seeing more of cora um i actually i i uh she is in texas presently with her grandparents and so i uh have been just running around the house cleaning stuff and reorganizing and i hung shelves in her room hey she comes back oh she's gonna she's gonna flip out she's gonna love it um it's (laughs) what it's one of those things like as you you know bill you i don't know you have did you own a home before the home that you bought now you rented, no, right? I, yeah, I rented. Have you like started putting shit up on your walls? Oh yes. Okay. So yeah, it took well, me I'm a while gonna... <laughs> to like adjust <laughs> to the concept of like, oh, I own this place. I can drill holes into the studs. Oh, you mean you mean that kind of thing? No, I I you know I have I have a very large collection of movie posters that I've oh, shamelessly okay. no, no, no. like collected so yeah no i hang those but no uh we we have actually installed some things on the wall um you know i mean the garage is like fucking packed full of (laughs) garage gym equipment now and rigs shit like that so yeah that's definitely something that was one of the first things that i invested in was i was like all right we're putting shit on the walls in the garage here we go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no it's it's been a big step for me to finally be like right yes i own this house and i'm going to put stuff on the walls mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. i'm gonna drill into that goddamn drywall i'm gonna find the stud yeah yeah it's fun it's, it's satisfying very satisfying when when you find the stud yeah i'll, <laughs> uh, I'll put the before and action after picks on uh the slack channel you know so if anyone would like to see those hey, go to patreon.com premium premium content good yes. good work there i I'm like sure it. i'll catch a lot of flack for being a wealthy wealthy man um i have to i have to say too the uh the plastic on the sofa also reminds me that like these all all of these films tv eh, whatever all of these installments <laughs> are they're like just ingrained with so many details like like that oh my god you know whether it's production design you know um uh, jordan started to say a little bit about the uh, costumes just the the floral shirts in this the the dresses that just have you know uh, a certain uh, sparkliness. There's uh, more specific details about different language they use. I kind of love that. Like, there's there's a lot of stuff in here where you know maybe it's just my stupid yank self, but like there's an they don't feel the need to like simplify language. Like not only in terms of you know uh, just what what I assume is um, you know 
authentic uh, Jamaican, you know, expressions and things like that. But like, I, I just love that it's sprinkled in with such regularity. Like, there's just so much in here, so many details that are so regularly mentioned. Like, uh, something like how much uh, sucking teeth comes in throughout this whole series and, and like uh, the way that that is used specifically in relation to how people act with police and you know with people who don't belong like I, I'm just truly if there's one thing I'm truly amazed with beyond you know just the actors and everything it's just how much this is like a labor of love for like it's periods that it's uh you know it's uh, exploring I have um so in college, I read a play by Joe Penhall called Blue Orange. Um, I think it was I think it was originally performed with a Chiwetelle Ejiofor, actually. And oh, wow. and um, it was the first time that I'd ever seen in print the concept of sucking teeth. And the 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 play was given to me by a a, a professor of drama that that took an interest in me. I don't I don't know. Um, and he was like, you got to read this. It's not on the syllabus. We're not covering it in class, but I think it's, you know, and then I, I was reading it and I was like, I'm in my room alone in the punk rock house. And I'm like sucking, he sucks his teeth. The fuck does oh that man, mean? my grandmother, that was, that was her thing. <laughs> right. And so I, I went upstairs and I asked, you know, one of the white people I live with and then no idea. Like, you know, we kind of like went over and it was like, you know, maybe it's like a, is that kind of like, is that, that's more like a breathing in. And then <laughs> yeah. I went to, uh, I couldn't do it. I tried it as well. <laughs> but so uh, then I, I asked another guy who was in the house and he knew instantly. He's like, it's when you, you know, you do it. And I was like, Oh, that's what that is. I always just called that like tisking. I didn't even know what to call it. I was like, Oh, this play makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> well, and I, I just, watched like, everything it, with subtitles now. And so small acts is just like every, four minutes someone's sucking their teeth and i'm just like well i'm glad i know what that is i did jordan i might be stupid as shit here but like <laughs> i had heard uh, i'd like you know i'd seen people do this but then i googled it and it like specifically does has have west african origins i i'm sure i'm not trying to exoticize it in any way i just um i i, I felt like it was so frequent that it was more then like he seemed to very much want it to be seen as more than, you know, just a standard point of speech. Did anyone else feel this or am I overreading? This? Well, first I want to know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. Sure. Sure. Uh, let me bring up the, yeah. So I looked it up and it said in West Africa, it means do to do to do. I looked it up. Give me a second. Um, it means either disgust, defiance, disapproval, disappointment, frustration, or impatience. So yeah, but it it has West African origins is what it said. So it sounded like, you know what? I I, I think I've probably thought too much about this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a rarity for Michael Snydell. <laughs> okay. Well, if you figure out like how to put it, you know, I would love to hear what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> would love to know what you're talking about. But yeah. Oh, I also want to point out just just so like uh, 
you know, uh, you know, there's like a variety of accents, right? So there's Jamaican accent, there's Barbados, there's Grenada, which, um, which Steve McQueen is, I, I think he's like part Grenadian and then something else, maybe Trinidad. There's Trinidadian, um, there's Guyana, um, trying to uh, other ones will come to me but yeah i noticed that sometimes when like people talk about rihanna where they're just like where they just assume she's jamaica she's from barbados um uh, but like there's of course like a lot of like cultural overlap like i would say like especially with like jamaica and trinidad i feel like jamaica and trinidad have a lot in common or at least i feel that way with my trinidadian friends who were like i feel like we're on the same wavelength but um yeah, and a lot of these films is like a bunch of different accents. I would say the only film in small acts that is specifically about Jamaican people is Alex Weedle. Like everyone's Jamaican in that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I looked it up. Uh, McQueen was born in London and is of Grenadian, 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 and Trinidadian descent. Okay, so, so I was correct. right. Yes. Yep. Um, which I didn't know, but like once I like when I when I started watching these, I was just like, wait, wait, is Steve McQueen one of us? And then I checked, and, <laughs> and it was just—it's weird because like none of his work before this would suggest that, <laughs> in my opinion. But it does explain. Well, the thing is, is that like if you're—I uh, noticed that like in like British American Black people, like there's like two kinds of names. There's kind of like. Um, the name that suggests like African immigrants and then there's like names that sound very like they sound like uh, a, what what's the good way of saying this uh, a result of colonialism yes so like him being Steve McQueen like I should have known from that because like we we all kind of have those kind of like my name like my name is Jordan Searles like my my uncle's names are like Norman and like we have all very like proper Gentrified? names and our names like we have these proper names probably because of how like we were colonized but yeah like if but you see somebody like Idris Elba you know that he's like of African origins because he actually has a name that like originates in our culture. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Jordan, since you 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 mentioned a little bit how uh, Mangrove to you was a little bit like vicariously living, you know, uh, you didn't have a restaurant like that. So uh, this would be a, a stretch, but was Alex Weedle I, as is a film so much about like I identity or, or trying to figure out an identity that you weren't around is that something you uh like particularly empathized with uh yeah yeah i mean uh it's a, it's a weird thing like uh, there i don't know if it still exists but there was like uh a caribbean club in my hometown and it's very like hush hush because they don't want any white people to go there so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I I went once um, with some friends and like I was having a really great time and I was like dancing with someone who is like, 
like very obviously Jamaican. I was dancing like because I mean, it's a whole bunch of different kind of Caribbean people, but he was Jamaican. And when I told him that I was Jamaican, he didn't believe me because I didn't sound like a Jamaican and I didn't move <laughs> like a Jamaican. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, I have those kind of like cultural experiences all the time where it's like, unfortunately, just like by virtue of the fact that like, we didn't have like an interesting thing about like the small axe movies is that you see like that a lot of the West Indian immigrants live in the same neighborhood. And I wish that I had had that because I think that that's kind of how you hold on to the culture. It's kind of, you know, like sticking together. And I didn't really have that. I was just like surrounded by like, you know, just regular American people. Well, I mean, that's um, like, yeah. I feel like every immigrant population does that. I mean, like there's a reason that things such as like little Italy exist. I mean, like, my my my, um my my parents even you know meeting when they did which was you know i guess around the same time as some of these movies happened actually you know it was there was still the thing it's like oh great so you found another catholic but it had to be a an italian one right it had to be an irish (laughs) one right you couldn't have like found within the same group of people now we got to invite these people in understand their cultures are they just fiddling reels all the time and I was like, wow, I can't believe that was like actually a problem. That's the craziest goddamn thing I've ever heard. But like, yeah, you know, the like that one of the things that um I think is interesting just about the history of like human migrations is that like a lot of like a lot of times like, you know, they say like organized crime or like gang violence came about as like a way to insulate one's own community because you knew that your native or your adoptive homeland wasn't going to insulate you in the same way. Like the police yeah. were going to protect you in the same way. Mm-hmm. So you have to form like the mob or the, the Irish gangs, you like know, the factions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the origin of like the bloods and the crypts. Yeah. It was about like community protection. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is something really interesting too in the in the sense of uh, assimilation, not only as this film uh, depicts it, which I'd like to talk about in a second, but like it's it's really interesting. So I, bizarrely, I in grad school decided to do uh, my my thesis, uh, my journalism thesis about uh, the Czech community in in Berwyn, Illinois, which is this uh, Czech community that is largely people born in America trying to preserve their Czech roots. But then I would talk to people who specifically immigrated and whose greatest interest was assimilation. Like they were like, I I don't have any pride for like Czech pride because uh, because you know uh, the Czech Republic is is a result of so much colonialism of so many different countries invading them that you know even things like the Sokol Olympics like uh, go back to like you know, Nazi, uh, invasions. Like it's, it, it's really fascinating the weird, like push and pull of assimilation. And like, I mean, I mean, I'd like to lead that a little bit into red, white, and blue where you have, uh, John Boyega's character who is someone who, uh, again, <laughs> even as all signals point to the fact that this community does not want him. He wants to join the police while his father is actively does not believe in the police, but also he wants to 
work through the system. <laughs> like there's there's a very strange um, juxtaposition there that I, I think that gets into something that at least those first two aren't quite as interested in. I, I, I mean, Brian, did you have any feelings about assimilation in relation to red, white, and blue? So red, white, and blue is interesting to me because I know that my grandfather joined the NYPD for similar, like, I won't say similarish reasons. Like he didn't go into it with a sensation of like, I'm going to change things. But like the, one of his reasons for joining was definitely like some, to, to put some representation in the police force. Um, without doing an ancestry.com mouth swab, I don't think I can tell you exactly what my <laughs> grandfather was. Um, I do know that sure. his in, in later in his life has changed his name to Thomas Gideon, but was born Tomas Rodriguez in new Orleans. And, you know, he'd been in the, the military and he, um, he joined the NYPD and it was to him a lot about like continuing the work that he'd done in world war II. you know, serving his community. Um, he, he, I don't think he ever became anything above like a B cop, but to him, his little section of the city was very important to him. And he liked the, the concept of, of being a guy that all the shopkeepers knew that all the people who lived there knew. And so it was actually interesting to me to see, uh, John Boyega's character, Leroy Logan, like talk about that, like basically bring up the precepts of community policing that used to just be policing <laughs> until, you know, people got priced out of being able to be in the place where they were actually working. And um, so I found it, that's another one of those things where like watching these movies, even though these these characters are of such different backgrounds it it strikes me that again, like there is so much that is similar between us and to see that working. And, and I actually, you know, I looked up an interview with, with Logan who actually this past year put out a book about his life on the police force. Cause he, he spent 30 years on it and he, um, he, he found he it like, a really sad story as well. If you look into him yeah. more, like he's, he's really been treated truly terribly by the police force that he served for an incredible number of decades. <laughs> yeah. And I, I found it interesting that he, he seems to make in his personal life a lot more of a, a deal about how his, his Christian faith kind of helped guide him through all that, which wasn't quite in the movie, but I mean, like it's, if, if, if I could make one plea to people who probably are like a oh, small X, is it a TV show? Is it a movie? I'm not British. Why do I care? Um, to make those people interested and watch it, I would say like, you know, first of all, they're beautiful and that's great. You know, everyone likes good visually styled entertainment, hopefully, but also like, it's a way to look into the lives of others and see that, that what we consider others are not so much others as just ourselves on a different path and, and people, of similar experience and, and like beliefs and ideas and hopes and dreams. And then, um, that, the, 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 uh, the racism that we see, especially in mangrove and, and red, white, and blue becomes like kind of darkly comical and, and absurd once you're able to like peer past that upper level and it, it just, it makes, it makes as, as little as it makes sense to begin with, it makes even less sense upon seeing these stories like put to the screen. 
So I don't yeah, know if that, what it, I just it, said makes sense. I hope it did, but I am yeah, very tired yeah. right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that it makes. I think that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so like you know, like I said, I think I liked Lovers Rock and Red, White, and Blue. I think possibly because of that, just because I saw a little more of myself. I by no means don't like. Do not. I there. I by no means do not not like Mangrove. It's a tortured oh. sentence, but it scans grammatically. I like Mangrove. Sure. I just don't like it as much as the other ones. Um, but I still oh. find it to be an incredibly valuable piece of, of work. And I'm looking forward to watching the other two. Yeah, yeah. Just um, Alex Weedle is really, really interesting. And like, I like that one. Just like, yeah. It's just like how, how Jamaican it is. Like it is the most like... <laughs> It is like aggressively Jamaican in, in every single way. And so much of it is just, and I love it because I love my people and I love how mean we are. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> it, it's just like, there's so much like, <laughs> there's so much like meanness in it and there's so much attitude, but it's they like, fuck with warm. Alex so much. It's like, it's, <laughs> but it's like a warm. Oh, for sure. Meanness. For sure. Yeah, but it's like everybody is so mean. <laughs> and like I was like, this is so like you know the joke. Um, like if you go to a Jamaican restaurant and the service is bad and it takes forever to get your food, then that means that you're getting the best Jamaican food. And like that's true. <laughs> that is one hundred percent true. If your food comes too quickly, like that's not that's not Jamaican food. Oh. <laughs> I feel like that's um in in Texas it's a, it's very much the same thing. It's like if you want authentic, you know, Tex-Mex or Mexican food, like you got to go to the place that you really first glance don't want to go to. Uh yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the holes in the wall or if you like maybe you just need to like point at the menu because the person can't understand you and you're like, "Oh, the service here." It's like, "Shut your goddamn mouth. This is the best food you'll ever have." Exactly. You know, a yeah, exactly. Of- so. I want to say like 10 to 12 years ago, uh, Ethiopian restaurants started popping up in DC and the attendant suburbs like crazy. And um, it, it became something like that where it was just like, all right, like, so we love this food. Which one of these are like the best? Which one of these is the most authentic? Like, how do we, how do we know? <laughs> and I don't know that me and my friends ever really landed on a way to tell. Cause we kept going to them. Cause it's like, well, it's great. We should go try another one. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I, I constantly say like, you know, I'm working remote now. I have a daughter, like, you know, I have, a, I have a house with a yard and everything, but God, if I just moved to like the middle of nowhere in this country, I would be able to afford like 10 times the house and 20 times the land. But, you know, there is something to be said for, you know, having an experience of being able to say like, oh, if I really wanted to, I could probably find like a good authentic representation of every culture, at least like through cuisine, if not art and culture, yeah. like in my city. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think, too, uh, there's something I, it's really interesting that you. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that, uh, Brian, because I, I think something else about Alex Weedle is, like, as much as all these people around him, you know, uh, really give him a hard time about the fact that he's from Surrey and he's a little, you know, uppity and he has a certain, you know, demeanor. Like, so much of that film is is about, like, trying to absorb a culture almost by osmosis, even when you don't 
always it always fit in like there, there's something really fascinating to me um I, in comparison to so much of the others and like i do wonder if some people see this like almost the most friendly to white people in the sense you're almost getting a crash course in like an understanding of jamaican people through through so many different aspects whether it's the the music or the different community parts or the the clothes and things like this like it, it, in a way it is really like you're with Alex Weedle and thrown into this new community and you're seeing it incrementally as he's, um, you know, because he starts to feel like great ownership of it. Like it, it's, it, it is really interesting to me that this one um, is, is near the end. And, you know, it's, I, I have not seen education, but I mean, maybe you can speak to this Jordan, but I feel like, it's it's known that uh, people don't really like Alex Weedle. Um, Alex Weedle was like I've seen from a lot of people the weak link, according to a number of people, and I think that's because like structurally it has some things that could be seen as cliches, and the fact that it's like it's uh, it's fragmented while he's at prison and he's telling his bunkmate who's essentially prompting him to tell his life story and there's a whole thing where he's like you need to educate yourself <laughs> but i feel like all of that stuff is like really playful like like there's a certain um there's a certain sense that like it knows it's getting into after school territory and it's like running with it <laughs> Like it's, it's really interesting to me that this one has gotten uh, such a bad rep, and and also that it's like so late in the series because I could totally see it being the first one in a way. Yeah, and I and I kind of wish it was the first one because I don't know. Oh, I, really? I think, okay. Well, because like I think that there was so much like there is so much. I don't know what the expectations were. Cause I don't really get it. Mm. I mean, maybe it's because, well, no, cause lovers rock doesn't deal with white people either. Like Alex, well, no, Alex, <laughs> Beatle there's does, a cop. Al, Alex yeah. Beatle does um, deal with white people, but it's mostly just like how it's like about how, I think it's really interesting in the sense that like, it really shows like how useless white people are to black people. <laughs> Um, well, so to to I mean so in in um in Mangrove there's the white barrister right they don't call them lawyers there yeah that's the guy Loden. Who's played by who yeah Jack Loudon Jack Loudon, Loudon. Loudon whatever yeah, Loudon. um the handsome pilot from Dunkirk um <laughs> without a mask <laughs> he didn't really wear a mask in a lot of Dunkirk once he once he falls and he's on the boat he's just like fabulous in a blazer. <laughs> I said um, without a mask. Uh, yes. They covered up the Oh, right, yes, because Tom Hardy just doesn't get to his face. Um, <laughs> yes. so, Damn it. <laughs> uh, what I was, and then I think that one of the interesting things about this, um, and we've been talking for a while, so we should start wrapping it up at some point, um, is that, you know, just talking about white people, um, I think that <laughs> the, 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 the movies do a very good job of avoiding, you know, at least the ones that I saw, of avoiding the tropes of like, like just to bring up Detroit, which I'm so sorry I have to do like the, the, the cops in that are either like stupid or an almost malevolent elemental evil. Um, and in, in like black Klansmen, they're like corny cartoonish caricatures 
of yeah, domestic with terrorists with that movie. Yeah, I had a big problem with the way that, that the I, white supremacists in that movie were. Uh, I liked that movie, but it really was weird for me because I'm like, are we supposed to be threatened? Because like these people are still around and they recently apparently wanted to kidnap a governor. Um, but, you know, you can't it, it feels weird to position them as comedy. But in this, like you were saying, Jordan, like the 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 police are so kind of like. Like lazily just like bored with their own racism, like it's so just ingrained in them. And then in like. In in um in in Lovers Rock, I'm gonna start stuttering more the more tired I get. In Lovers Rock, uh, they like there's like a group of white guys that get chased away fairly easily, but like, you know, they they just seem like a bunch of assholes. And then in Red, White, and Blue, like Boyega's character has like a perfectly fine and reasonable white friend, and many people on the police force also seem perfectly nice and reasonable but it almost seems like those people are so concentrated in places outside of where actual stuff is happening that they become as useless as if they didn't exist at all yep and so yep. that's to me like way more that interesting white guy definitely disappears from the second half of red white and blue and his best friend becomes that the other i, I believe he's a pakistani uh, yes. officer uh, Asif. Yeah. But like, yeah, they, they, they seem Asif. to, and you know, it's, it's kind of up in the air as to whether like it's done on purpose or if it's just the way of the world. Like if the good people are so few against the tide of the bad that like, it doesn't really matter, but like it does it, it without being the token nice cop, like again, in the end of Detroit, the guy who <laughs> shows up and is like, who would do this? Like, it shows that like to some people being kind is totally normal and like the obvious choice to make and to a great deal of other people in these institutions or in the world at large, especially during that time, it just made a lot more sense to be a bastard, like a racist son of a bitch. And um, it, it well, feels I mean, a lot more like, true. It's, it, I mean, it's incentivized to be that way. Like it, people get treated like they're weird if they don't like, it's very, I don't know. It reminds me a lot of like how patriarchy works, which like a whole nother podcast being done on that. But like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like being nice is like not rewarded. <laughs> so, no. so you, so it's like, and not saying that like that's, this is an excuse, but I just noticed that like, you know, I'm sure that there are like, um, some cops that were just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to really do something. And like, <laughs> and like they don't feel like that anymore, like very, well, you, very quickly. You almost see that in, in Mangrove with the one cop who constantly he looks like 10 years younger than all the others. And he also looks constantly shocked by what's happening. Yeah. Yes, yes um, I know exactly who you're talking about. And yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's like, yeah, you get learned that if you want to exist in this space, then you gotta, you gotta play the game, which involves literally like, oh, we're playing cards and you laid out the ace of spades. And so we've got to go roust the first, you know, black person we see, which you is. You also see that with Asif being told not to speak in a foreign language. Right. Which is the most fucking craziest, insane thing. Cause you, <laughs> you get these people to be community outreach to, and you just like, oh, yeah, but we're still yes. going to talk British. Yeah, you guys, I don't know why I made him sound like someone from Brooklyn. <laughs> you still got to yeah, talk British yeah. to these folks, all right? Forget about um, it. But I wanted to say, like, quickly, since we're going to be wrapping up soon, that um, education 
is really, really great. And um, it's, it's really great because it's all about like the way that the British school system treats black children. Um, and I mean, there's like, I feel there are shades of it in other things. Um, but this idea of like thinking that black children are like inherently stupider and like kind of like how that goes, um, how that's being treated. Cause it's like about like a, a kid who can't read. Um, and instead of like teaching him how to read, they just send him to another school. And it's just like, you could just teach him. I was thinking that, like, you could just teach him how to read. And it's just like, it doesn't even occur to them to do that. Um, so that's part of it. And it's very, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can really spoil education because like, like it's not like, Oh, I need a surprise. Like you don't really need a surprise watching education. Like essentially like you learn about how, um, like because of the way that um, West Indian black children are like treated in the school system, there are like schools that the community schools that they create, like, in a in a woman there's like a community school in a woman's house where she just like teaches everybody because like she they needed somebody that was gonna treat the kids fairly and so they had to they had to like make a school yeah and that's that's like a lot of what of what these movies you know either through my own having seen them oh my god <laughs> they're either having seen them myself or heard other people talk <laughs> about them. They, they, I mean, the small axe of the title is, is if you are the large tree, then we are the small axe. And it's a lot about having to, to kind of hack at this culture that seemingly doesn't want you to make your own spaces. So like mangrove is legitimately like, you know, darkest house says, you know, we didn't have any spaces and Frank made a space for us, whether he meant to or not, like it doesn't belong to him anymore, which seemed a little callous. He did still own that restaurant, Darkus, but whatever. Um, you know, it's it's all of ours now. And and Lover's Rock is about them, you know, making their own private club. And Red, White, and Blue is about him trying to to force some kind of change on this, you know, necessary public uh trust that has obviously been violated, and you know, trying to force that space within there. And he would go on, you know, even even though I mean Red, White, and Blue ends in such an abrupt way and such a dark way that I was almost surprised to find out that he stuck it out with the police and like formed the 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 Black Police Officers Alliance Commission, Commission yeah, yeah, something, yeah. and like chaired it for thirty years, and um, you know, and I, you know, all these others, I'm sure as I see them and as as you've explained them, are all about that, and I think that that's kind of the interesting thing is that it's it can be seen as having something to do with with uh, assimilation but they're still trying to hold community and and hold spaces that that allow them to be who they are um and that's that's i think the most interesting unifying aspect between all these that i didn't see people really talking about but then again i kind of stayed away from any reviews or discourse about this until i started watching them so yeah yeah yeah. uh yeah i I do think that that's that's under discussed bill graham are you still here i'm still here how you doing 
I don't have much to say because you, you know, only I'm saw the first two. You only saw the two. <laughs> um, we have, however, been talking for two hours and 14 minutes. Uh, so we've gone longer than Mangrove, which is the longest. So hooray for us. Uh, are there any final thoughts on uh, Mangrove, Lover's Rock, any of the ones that we've seen, the small acts anthology movies. in general? All of these movies are generally under two hours. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Jordan, Michael, uh, any final thoughts? Hot, it might be a hot take here, but I don't want another series of this. I, I would love to he- see some other stories. If McQueen wants to continue with this, like that sounds great, but I'm fine with moving on from these characters. I, I kind of love that a lot of these are like, you can read more, and there's a lot out there. There is, yeah. I think that it's... it's I don't want to be that guy who says this is a vitally important piece of work or whatever, but like, you know, in terms of, of bringing light to things that, you know, people like us might not know about. Um, and in terms of like being a springboard for learning more on your own, I think that they are, you know, deeply valuable in that way. Um, I, I always want more stuff from McQueen. So whatever he wants to do, I'm fine with, but I, I, I kind of am with you a little bit, Michael. Like, I don't, I don't know that we need, a small axe season two. Like sometimes you just, sometimes you're good with one and he can yeah. do a movie I'm, about whatever he wants next. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think that one is fine. I like that this is, you know, a five part thing. And I like the idea of things fucking ending. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is like, I don't like the idea of children fucking. <laughs> no, it was, what was it? What did you say? Babies. <laughs> That, that's, that's my hot take yeah i don't want to watch the baby yeah i feel like if you are under like if you were uh, this is my th- if you are 22 or younger you are a baby to me and it's weird because i'm <laughs> not that much older but the shift was very quick for me i'm like these are fucking children <laughs> i remember i remember okay. a friend and i in in high school like 16 you know driving to the burger joint you know getting some food and talking about stuff and I was, I said to him at some point, I was like, do you remember like when we were 13 and we, we were allowed to like be into 13 year olds? And he's like, dude, <laughs> it's so weird. This, like the schism happens so fast and it's so immediate and so abrupt. Like it just is so odd that like even just looking at myself and knowing that I was that age that I ever found anything there. Yeah, no, it's 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 fucking weird. like I'm 28, and like the idea of dating a 24 year old oh fills, my God. Me, yeah. fills me with dread. I would never. <laughs> I just don't even know what what I'd have to talk about anymore. Nothing. I'm 33 now, and I'm like, look, it you gotta be like 30 at least. Like, <laughs> I need to be able to talk with you about Fraggle Rock and. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Jurassic Park. Yeah, I don't know. I just can't deal with, if somebody doesn't remember Salute Your Shorts, I just do not understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Camp on Wanna hold you in our hearts. There there are people over 18 who weren't born by the time of 9-11. That's That's terrifying. So (laughs) one day. That was was a joke for a while was if she doesn't remember 9-11 she's probably if she, under you know, if, if she if she can't tell you where she was yeah. when 9-11 happened, then 9/11 happened. talking to her <laughs> yeah 
Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? There was a day when I walked into a Wawa and I saw that the little like tearaway sheet that they have to like, when can I sell cigarettes to someone said that someone born in 2001 could buy cigarettes and I nearly lost my fucking mind. Just imagine someone born in 2000 can drink alcohol. Yeah. If they were born in the first days of 2000, they can drink now. It's crazy. I... Uh, this is a really depressing way to end this podcast. Yeah, this, oh, this is, yeah. This I, is, mean, I, I remember. Like, oh, I I remember talking with some friends and just being mesmerized. We had a friend in college that was born in in the nineties, and like I just kind of looked at my friends group and I was like, "What the fuck is this person doing here right now? Like, why is <laughs> why are we hanging out with a nineties baby?" And I was just like, I, um, "This is." This feels so weird. There was a point when I, I started rewatching that 70s show. This was probably like two or three years ago. And I think that the first episode takes place like mid 70s, like 74 or 75. And um, I did the math and I discovered that like if I at that moment had wanted to make a show with the same difference between air date and like plot date, it would have been like sometime in the mid 90s. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, I hated myself. I was not ready to think of the '90s as a period. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up. Let's uh, let's let's, let's get out of here. Um, Can you imagine here. when we're going to get fictional miniseries about what our life is like right now? There will be a there will be a pandemic miniseries. In, I am legitimately death. shocked that there hasn't been one already. I the pandemic miniseries. God damn it. <laughs> It's going right. to be terrible. Right. We couldn't do anything. Who's gonna, who's going to star in it? Who's young enough right? You know. What? Oh wait, no, no. Okay. I, everybody shut up. I've got it. It's 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 a Band of Brothers-esque miniseries and it's called Essential oh. Workers and every episode <laughs> follows a different essential worker. And um I mean, Tom Hanks will produce CD, and direct. But yeah. <laughs> He should not produce and direct. He got COVID. That's why he should do it. He knows better than anyone. He's a technical advisor. We really have to stop. I'm so tired. Um, (laughs) I'm sure that some of you must be too. Um, What are, so my, uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's, the, the, how do we wrap this up? Uh, Small Axe is on Amazon Prime video right now. Uh, We all heartily recommend that you go check it out. So do that. And um McQueen made something good for once. Oh my god, good shut your him. fucking mouth, Michael. Um <laughs> I've lost all patience with you. I'm exhausted. <laughs> uh what was I gonna say? Uh don't forget mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial of movie. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Check it out. Um and uh and yeah, go to patreon.com slash film stage show to give us your money. Michael Seidel, what are we talking about next week? I will need to check exactly if it is available this week, but I, I'm thinking we might talk about One Night on Miami, uh, which is uh, based on the play by, uh, oh no, Hunt, Hunter Kemp, I believe is his name, who did, uh, that's not it. He co-wrote Soul, and he also wrote uh, this play. Kemp Powers? Uh, Kemp Powers. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Kemp Powers, uh, One Night in Miami is about uh, a fateful night where uh, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and 
Sam Cook. And Sam Cook, uh, yeah, uh, met one night and they discussed politics and all sorts of things. Now so I know that they met that, for one night, but do you know where they met? They met in Miami. Crazy. Uh, one night in Miami. <laughs> this movie is also directed by Regina King. It is. Yeah. How dare you not mention that? So, uh, yes, it it is not her directorial debut, I believe, though. Um, I have literally checked no that. Idea. Either way, yes, we will probably do that if it is indeed coming out this week. I don't have the most credible source in front of me. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so that's that. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we speak to them. Uh, Jordan Cyrils, would you like to tell uh, people where they can find your work online? Uh, yeah, you can Google the name Jordan Cyrils. All right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm also tired. <laughs> we this is the we should have like last week we recorded at like six PM. We really should have oh, tried we- to do that this week for the small acts. Cause like I feel as though if we weren't all so tired, we could have gone for another two hours. Oh yeah, totally. Oh That's man. Maybe this should be an anthology of podcasts. Okay. All right. Sequel. I I have work to do. We need to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. Now you're hot in the biscuit to get out of here. Bill Graham. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram and mixing it up in the Slack channel. I'm actually participating. It's it's fun. Hooray. Bill's like our tech expert. Whenever I have a tech question, I just (laughs) just add him now. (laughs) Yeah, take that, reply all. Bill is the real super tech support. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Michael Snydell. Try turning it off and turning it back on. (laughs) Uh, You you can find me on Twitter at at Snydell. I will have my uh, personal top 10 with a, a rambly paragraph about last year. Uh, coming up this week um, we're also going to have a feature about 2021 going up on the film stage uh, this week so I'll have a few blurbs in there about movies that I definitely remembered were coming out this year um, as for me uh, you can find some stuff about my distillery at schmidtspirits.com uh, you can find stuff about myself at briangerowan.com you can follow me on twitter at briangerowan And, of course, you can uh, see all the the end-of-the-year content, everything I've ever written, and every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com. So that is all for today. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next week. 